This podcast is part of the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Go to michigansportsandentertainment.com for more great podcasts. You know who I can do without? I, you know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. everyone welcome back to massive late fee my name is mark with me as always is mike how you doing mike uh not too bad how about you it's pretty good and we've got uh some special guests here today for the first time we have the hosts of the skeptical skeptics podcast uh rj metzger and rachel metzger how you doing guys good how are you guys we're good, we're good. Uh, excited to have you on. Uh, today we will be talking about conspiracy theories because uh, RJ and Rachel are a couple that do the Skeptical Skeptics podcast, which is a great podcast. Definitely check it out uh, at Skept, SkeptPod on Twitter, Skeptical, Pod, or Skeptical Skeptics on Facebook. You guys have uh, any kind of email or anything you want to plug? Yeah, skeptical skeptics at gmail.com. So tried to keep it pretty basic across the front there. <laughs> it's nice when you get, because uh, we got the same thing. We got a, a unique enough name where we're, we're on brand across all social media. Right. I was really actually worried about that um, because, you know, it's a pretty, like your your name is pretty creative. Ours is, I thought, kind of stupid, but it worked out. Thanks. No, I, I made up that name. <laughs> I actually, Rachel, I like it. I, I think it's it perfectly encapsulates what you guys are trying to do, I think, where, you know, you you are skeptical about certain things, but you're also skeptical about skepticism. <laughs> and- <laughs> yep. Thank you. That's like literally what I said when I told him, I was like, yeah, skeptical skeptics. He was like, I don't get it. I was like, being skeptical about being a skeptic. That's literally what we're doing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely, he, I like it. He gets it. <laughs> <laughs> Our name came from the fact that, uh, I don't know if we've ever told this story, Mike, but uh, it came from the fact that long time ago when video stores used to be a thing we went to hollywood video and rented a couple movies but we were looking specifically i think it was for species the natasha hendrich film (laughs) and they only had it at this hollywood video that was what like 10 15 miles from our house mike it was really far so was it might have even been a mammoth video that's (laughs) you're right it was it was mammoth video (laughs) And we said we said that uh, this place is so far away. We are never going to take this back, and we didn't. We kept, we kept <laughs> we kept the tape, and then just like every year, it was New Year's Eve. That's I I'm remembering more about my life in this story as it's going on. But yeah, it was, yeah, I, I forgot it was the New Year's as well. But yeah, that's definitely correct. And so, like every year on New Year's Eve, we would talk about. I wonder what our late fee is up to now. Uh, so that's kind of well, where we came up with the name. That's excellent. But uh, into the news, uh, the first thing that I have was a big story yesterday, although with as fast as the news cycle works, it might not be much of a story anymore. But uh, apparently Liam Neeson (laughs) was was trending because uh, he told a story uh, somehow promoting his new movie, I guess, decided to tell a story about the time that one of his friends was raped while he was out of the country. And the only thing she knew was the guy was black. So Liam Neeson decided the best thing to do would be to grab a crowbar, as you do, and walk along the street (laughs) 
like waiting for a black guy to uh, to accost him, I guess, so that he could beat the shit out of him. I suppose uh, in retribution, uh, just on the off chance that it happened to be the same guy. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, and it was such a weird, such a strange story for him to even launch into and, and his terminology was terrible too because yeah. he was like he just said like a black bastard like just any random mm-hmm. guy and that and that he would just go to town on him and it's just a very strange story i mean i get it i get where i get where i mean not something i would do and obviously not uh the right way to handle a situation like that but i mean i kind of get where he was coming from and i think he tried to use it as a lesson almost to where he was saying that he had learned from then and he also equated it to the the situation in Northern Ireland um, as to how this kind of violence and revenge and stuff only leads to more violence and revenge and that it, it wasn't a good thing for him to do. I, I don't, I mean, I don't think he's racist, but it is a really bizarre story to tell. Yeah, and... It just brought a lot of scrutiny on him for, I, I don't know, almost no reason. And, and that's the part that gets swept under is like what he was getting at, which is that, you know, the random hatred, you know, needs to end and stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he, he he turned his own life upside down last few days. Yeah, it's almost like Liam Neeson was like, I don't feel like being famous anymore. I'm just, <laughs> just going to torpedo yeah, my own career. The biggest issue I have with this is uh, his weapon of choice is a crowbar. Yeah. Often, you, often you see a crowbar, much less see one just lying there to be scooped up and uh, chasing someone down with it. Yeah, and like, if you if I saw, Liam Neeson's a tall man. If I saw Liam Neeson walking down the street with a crowbar in his hands, I don't think I'd be coming up to him at all, let alone trying to accost him. I've worked like blue collar jobs for like over 10 years. I've seen maybe five crowbars my entire life. <laughs> All in very specific settings. You're like, oh, look, it's a crate. We got to open this up. Here's a crowbar. <laughs> oh, my God. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever actually seen a crowbar. I own two crowbars. Like, you own you know? crowbars? Yes. Where are they? <laughs> They're in the garage where everything else is. I have never seen those. Oh ever. My God. Like, never in my life. Oh, they're for home defense. Apparently, <laughs> home defense crowbar. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to use the phrase, but um. So, uh, what else I got here? Oh, they're they're making a Grudge remake. Uh, oh no! Oh man, that's coming out, and it's been pushed back to 2020. The director says he's equating the movie to the film Seven, which has got to be a mistake. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, you can't. Oh, oh. Man. Let's take one of, uh, you know, the best thrillers of all time and equate <laughs> our movie to that. Because it's setting the bar pretty high. Mike, I know well, that you're a big fan of that movie, too. Yeah, but I just realized maybe uh, Kevin Spacey wasn't putting out as good of a performance as we all thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think in retrospect, like, I thought he was a really good actor, but I don't know now. <laughs> Pretend to do this role. I got this. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Yeah, but I, I really do. I've only seen it a few times. I really do like that movie, though. Now, uh, you, David Fincher, you know, obviously. Oh yeah, he's a genius. Now, do you think that the Grudge, the the, uh, <laughs> you think? <laughs> I just I'm having flashbacks to where when Sarah Michelle Gellar used to be in films, but um. <laughs> Do you think that the grudge can uh, have that same type of tone? 
See, I'm, I'm, I know there was like a Japanese movie called The Grudge. Are you saying there was a remake of that movie? No, what I'm saying and is Sir Michelle Geller is in this. Is this? Yeah, is this that, what you're saying she's going to be in this movie? No, I think. Oh, so she what? She already was in a movie called The Grudge, like a remake of the yeah. original one. Yeah, 2004. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't seen it. I don't really know much about it. Okay, well, um, yeah, they're it remaking that one. Although I don't know if they're going to take more of the tone of the Japanese version, uh, which I've only seen bits and pieces of, and and like most Japanese horror, it's confusing and disturbing. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it is. Um, or if they're going to do more of the uh, you know, reboot of the Americanized version of it, but I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, it's a. I don't even know if it needs the tone of a movie like Seven, where it's it's just more of a straight supernatural horror film. Obviously, Seven is something completely different, but I definitely think it's a mistake to to bring that up when you're talking about your movie. Yeah, that's pretty confident. Yeah, I think I think it's almost always a mistake to that would be like us peddling our podcast and being like, yeah, well, we're like the Joe Rogan show, <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't you don't want to shoot that high, I think. Right. Speaking of things that are mistakes, um, Tommy Wiseau has announced that he's making a new film. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, Tommy Wiseau was the uh, writer and director of what is considered one of the worst movies of all time, but also one of the best worst movies of all time, uh, called The Room. And he has announced a new movie and even released a teaser trailer. The movie is called Big Shark. (laughs) I think it's uh, a Jaws ripoff parody I don't know exactly how you want to uh, equate it, but I'm going to find the quote here of one of the the people that saw this teaser trailer. <laughs> but it sounds absolutely fantastic. I I haven't seen the room. Have you seen it, uh, Mark? I know they played it at the local uh, like art theater at midnight, like uh, last week or the week before. But I've never seen it myself. But he was actually there, Tommy Wiseau. I have, I have seen, I have seen the room. It's, uh, it's something, it's something to see. Just about every mistake that you could make in making a film, they made in this movie. Uh, there's a a scene where they're in, uh, they're in an alley, like tossing a football around or something like that. And Tommy Wiseau decided that he was going to build. Uh, this alley at a movie studio, spend a bunch of this money on it. And it's a replica of the alley that actually is the alley between the two, two of the buildings that he owns. <laughs> and somebody was like, what? what? One of the camera guys was just like, why don't we just film, you know, there in the alley? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, on the, on the studio, like, uh, you know, it's because it's like a movie. He just... <laughs> He thought that since it was a movie, had to be on the studio like they do in movies. That's they don't have to worry about weather, I guess. I don't know. Oh, it's uh, it's they're just a ton of. And he's a very interesting person in his own right, where you know people are not exactly sure where he came by his money, or and where exactly he was from, uh, anything like that. But he spent a lot of times in New, in New Orleans which is where this movie takes place. So here's the quote from, let me give it credit, from uh, filmfutter.com. One of their writers was was there at this event. 
And he says the teaser starts off with Patrick, played by Tommy Wiseau, who introduces his friends Tim, uh, played by Isaiah Laborde, and Georgie, played by Greg uh, Sestero. Uh, to two women at a restaurant. In the next scene, one of the women calls Sestero's character a jerk, and both slap him. His buddies laugh at him, and he laughs it off. In the following scene, they are walking back to their car when they see water at their feet running through the streets. After a cut, they are already up to their hips in the water, and in the background, (laughs) a large, badly animated shark consumes its victim. (laughs) After that, the shark goes for the trio and they try to run away. The title card comes on, after which the shot of the CG shark swimming towards the camera and snapping it is repeated multiple times. So, I guess it's kind of like Sharknado or that uh, the Meg uh, thing. I think uh, the phrase badly animated shark is kind of redundant because I've never <laughs> once seen a, a shark animated in a realistic fashion. No, I mean you know, like Jaws is probably the best in. Um, yeah, that it's not a, animated; it's uh, animatronics. Yeah. But no, actually, my mom um, went to. I'm going to say this wrong. Orlando Studios back in the back, eighties, seventies, when she was younger, and she actually got to see the fake shark. Oh yeah, that they used, and it was just like a head. And by then, he was all rusted and gross, and like they kept moving the jaw up and down, but it would make all these horrible noises as it went up and down because there used to be like a Jaws ride, I guess. And yeah, so she got to see because that's what they used. I think was they remade it then because I saw it too. Okay, well, it was, yeah, it's this <laughs> giant, huge, steel shark. Yeah. yeah um, in the movie Mallrats, there's like a, one of the plot points is like I think it was at Universal Studios and was it the California one where they or had? They the, I think they might have had. Oh, I thought they had one in like California as well. I thought they had two going at one point for some reason. I don't know. I do no, think. There is, I, I, I do think that. Yeah, I believe they 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 have both, but uh, in Mallrats it was Orlando because they were going to yeah. Florida. It sounds like you're talking about the original shark, though, if it was all, like, dilapidated. And so oh, yeah. Was, yeah, it was that's rough. She, yeah. Yeah, obviously, uh, for, you know, listeners that don't know, famously, the shark did not look good on film, and they couldn't get it to work properly or anything, and Steven Spielberg used that to his advantage in showing the shark as little as possible and building tension with more, you know, implied... Uh, with the fin and, and music cues, things like that, which, you know, helped it become more iconic. If you could see, I think if, if the shark would have worked perfectly and we could see it more, then it would have basically just been a kind of schlocky monster movie. It might have still been good. There would have still been good performances in it, obviously, but it, it wouldn't have been considered as good as it became, I don't think. So I wonder if they would have been considered over the top then if the shark just looked so like distractingly bad. Like you'd be like, oh my God, he's really, you know, going over the top here to uh, act all dramatic with this stupid looking shark. Yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't know that. I didn't know that uh, that was a choice because of how bad the shark looked. Yeah, they had to do a lot of uh, rewriting of, of scenes and they trimmed some scenes down and then, you know, they changed some things around so that they could kind of imply the shark was there but not show it as much. Yeah, I don't know if it was like a behind the true story Jaws or like a documentary. I saw something about that where they show them like, you know, trying to like push it through the water and all that stuff. It's <laughs> yeah. just like a big mess. Didn't they, didn't they name it Bruce, I think is what they called it? Yeah, Bruce the shark. It wasn't. That, yeah, I think Spielberg said that was after his lawyer. I think. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. That I wouldn't surprise. That. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, all right. Um. Oh yeah, I got one more thing. Uh, 
Now, I don't watch this show. Mike, I'm pretty sure you don't watch this show either. I wonder if, if RJ and Rachel do. But it has been announced that Modern Family will be ending after next season. They're, they've been renewed for an 11th season, and their 11th season will be their final season. So I know it's a hugely popular show. I've never seen an episode of it in my life. <laughs> but I hear a lot about it, and I guess people are pretty sad about this. I think I watched like the first two or three seasons, and Rachel's watched like all of them. I haven't watched the last couple just because I got it's. I feel really bad saying this. It is such a good show. I just felt like every single, which I guess this is fair for a lot of just like fun comedy shows. It's just every single show followed the exact same formula yeah. over and over again. Unfortunately, so, sitcoms can get like that. Yeah, and I just felt like. By the time I was done watching it, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've watched every single possible scenario they could be awkward and funny and <laughs> right. ever. So I was like, okay, this is not my time I, anymore. And I felt that way after season three, which is why I stopped. So, yeah. But yeah, so 11 seasons, they, uh, they've they either run out of ideas or they don't like money anymore. So. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's going to be one of the last like traditional sitcoms, you know, that are as successful as it is because they seem like they're going, you know, out of fashion. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, I remember when reality television started, and it dominated programming, because it was something new. And people were like, oh, this is what TV is going to become now. And and I I remember saying, oh, eventually, it'll just be, it'll just be another type of show that's out there. But the more types of shows that you get, the fewer, the fewer of, you know, more traditional ones that you that you end up seeing. So, yeah, you don't see a ton of sitcoms, at least not not super popular anymore. That's kind of crazy. You yeah, know, that is crazy. You know, it's funny because we do the um, we do the retro late fee podcast where we pretend that it's 1994. And so we watch a lot of sitcoms for that. And it's funny to see 94 was kind of the last year that the the four networks, uh, NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox, had programming all to themselves. It, because the year after that, the CW and... Uh, what's the Wait, other? It was the WB and UPN. At yeah, the time. yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, UPN and... and uh, and the C- or, WB. Yeah, WB. Which became the C- CW, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. they came along the next year, but that was kind of the last era that they had it all to themselves. And the ratings are insane. Like, I'll look at some of these shows, and, uh, like, one of the recurring bits I have is I talk about Saved by the Bell, the college years, which got 13 million viewers and was the, like, 70th most watched show at the time. Because to be number one, or to be even close to number one, you had to get, like, 30 million viewers. So, so, um, and now... I think I heard today that the Super Bowl had, like, 49 million viewers or something like that. Yeah, it was, like, one of the lowest-rated Super Bowls uh, since 2009. It was the lowest, and one of the lower ones in a long time. Did you have a, a rooting interest in the game? I so I'm a Texans fan, um, and but I'm just so tired of seeing Tom Brady in the Super Bowl every year. Yeah, just so a, tired of not him. not Tom Brady's my team generally. We're um, from <laughs> yeah, Virginia, you know, so the Lions unfortunately aren't uh, very good as far as uh, football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, at least you got that 0 16 season that you can uh, be proud of. <laughs> hey, you we know- did it first. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I know. That's that's what I mean. <laughs> you know, and that's funny. You're a Texans fan. 
the Texans have also never been to the Super Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. Of it's, course. I always say it's a hard life to live, but someone's got to do it. You know? Of course, your team has been around for, what, like 20 years? Yeah, barely 20, yeah. Ours, ours is one of the original NFL <laughs> <laughs> Were they the we Oilers first, or did the Oilers become someone else? I, the I don't Oilers, Oilers the became the Titans. Oh, and that's then right, yeah. The Texans were technically a brand new franchise. But, okay, uh, I know it was a new franchise. Yeah, the uh, the Adams family, which uh, took the t- the Oilers to Tennessee, wouldn't sell them the Oiler rights, so like they never had access to like the throwback jerseys or anything. I know that sucks. Huh. Yeah, but hey, I mean the Lions have had some fun fun teams uh, to watch. Yeah, nineteen ninety one. That was <laughs> <laughs> I was I was twelve. That was the last time we won a playoff game. Uh, and both of our teams. Jitterson say they've had uh, you know some good games. During the past <laughs> yeah. <week>. yeah. <laughs> Hey, there was a particularly good Thanksgiving game against the Texans that I remember. Hey, was uh, was it 2005? <laughs> no, like 11 is the one I'm thinking of. I think it was 2011. <laughs> when my... now, oh, yeah, uh, I was just going to say, both of the franchises wasted two great receivers with the last name Johnson. Yes, well. yes that's right. <laughs> when my first daughter was born, uh, it was 2005 and in September... So, yeah, this would have been the beginning of the season. We played the Texans, I think it was the, yeah, I think it was the first first or second game of the year. And uh, we were still in the hospital, and my wife was asleep. So I was sitting on the chair, and I had my daughter in my arms. And I turned on the TV, I was watching the game, and I looked at, at her, and I said, okay, sweetie, so this is the first time in your life that the Lions either win the game and falsely get your hopes up or crushingly disappoint you. <laughs> the first of any. Sometimes it's in the same game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that Super Bowl was not super exciting to watch. No, so I was actually on a camping trip, and I lucked out and got some decent cell reception. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, like I climbed a mountain to watch part of this game and <laughs> I log in and it's like third quarter, three, nothing. And I was like, what? No, like, why did I do all this? Like, I should have just stayed in the tent. <laughs> RJ has got a machete and he's just like chopping. He's, he's just chopping through. There's uh, rocks falling all around him. I gotta watch this game. Three I nothing. Got at, I got roared at by a bear. Like it was not, it was not worth it, man. Not at all. He lost two men. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, yeah. I don't mind defensive struggles. I don't mind defensive games. But that was a that was a miserable game to watch. <laughs> I, lo- I actually love defensive games too. Uh, and and that and that Rams defense is so fun to watch. But mm-hmm. just all in all, man, it was it, it was, was just sloppy. Well, that was the thing. It was when they made Jared Goff look bad, it was making him be sloppy, not not making extraordinary plays a lot of the time. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, now, Mike, I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, but uh, we're going to do our Educating Mike segment. And <laughs> even if you've seen it, I think this will still be entertaining. Now, today we're talking about conspiracy films. So I decided, who is the the godfather of all conspiracies right now? Alex Jones. And it turns out that Alex Jones has been in some movies. <laughs> so I picked an Alex Jones film. Uh, it is called A Scanner Darkly. It's a 2006 Richard Linklater film. 
based on the novel by Philip K. Dick. And I know that you're a fan, so that's why you may yeah, I, have seen I don't seen know this. why I haven't seen this movie. Like, I, uh, I'm a huge Keanu Reeves fan. Um, you know, I like Richard Linklater. I've, I've never, I've read a little, very little of Philip K. Dick, but I couldn't really get into it. Mm-hmm. But this is like right up my alley. I just haven't seen the movie. I didn't realize Alex Jones was actually in the movie. Yeah, he plays a very small role. He's a preacher in the uh, in the film. But you are not alone having not seen this film. Its budget was $8.7 million, and it made $7.7 million at the box office. <laughs> oh, no. I heard, I've heard good things about it. I just haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it either. I've never heard of that. L- listen to the... Uh, okay, so <laughs> most they say voice actors. It, the, the film is animated, but it's, it's rotoscoped, so it sort of looks like Sin City a little bit, where... It's the actors being filmed, but then also uh, animated over. So it gives it that stylistic look. So when they talk about the actors, they call them voice actors, even though there's kind of a performance on the screen, too. This is before mo-capture was a huge thing. Uh, But Keanu Reeves, Robert Downey Jr., Woody Harrelson, uh, and Winona Ryder, and Steven Soderbergh and George Clooney, uh, executive produced it. So, and Richard Lankletter um, directed it and wrote it. It had a lot of stuff behind it. Just did not do well. Huh. That's a hell of a list of names. Mm-hmm. Do you know if it's, like, well-reviewed, or is it just... Because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of movies that are that I enjoy, at least, that aren't particularly well-received. I mean, them featuring uh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 69% rating based on 181 reviews. And it has a 6.6 out of 10 on that other one. Uh, that I can't think Metacritic. Um, Metacritic. Yeah, that's 73 out of 100 on Metacritic. So it's generally favorable reviews, which does not surprise me. I think it's one of those things where the animation maybe wasn't exactly to the point where audiences were ready to embrace it. And that might have turned off some people. So it's not exactly a bad film, but uh, which is what we usually do. But uh, we'll educate you a little bit this on this mic. Um, so here's the plot summary: The United States has lost the war on drugs. That's the uh, the opening sentence. <laughs> Substance D. <laughs> a powerful and dangerous drug. And let me just say, Substance D to me sounds like uh, the off-brand drug that loses to the name-brand drug <laughs> on a commercial. It's like four out of five people uh, produ- or, uh, prefer the taste of heroin to Substance D. <laughs> like a brown paper bag over it? Yeah. But uh, bad name for a drug. But anyway, Substance D is a powerful and dangerous drug that causes bizarre hallucinations and has swept the country. Approximately 20% of the total population is addicted. I guess that's high. I mean, one out of five people. You're thinking mostly, you know, like, uh, I guess people... That's more than people smoke these days, I would say. Oh, I for sure. Probably like 10% smoke, if that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess you could you could acquit... What do you think the numbers of smoking were in the 50s? <laughs> like, what percentage probably of people like do you think smoked? I'd say 40 to 50%, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, Okay, in response, the government has developed an invasive high-tech surveillance system and a network of undercover officers and informants. This is why I love fiction, because, you know, this just would never happen. 
<laughs> where the United States would lose the war on drugs and then, you know, the government would be spying on people all the time, like listening and on phone conversations, <laughs> having cameras everywhere. It just would never happen, right? Yeah, it's a dystopia kind of thing, I think. <laughs> Bob Arctor is one of these undercover agents assigned to immerse himself in the drugs underworld and infiltrate the supply chain. Sometime in the past, Arctor abandoned his wife and two children, leaving him alone in a now rundown suburban house in Anaheim, California. The house, this is a giant run on sentence, too, by the way. <laughs> the house has since been repopulated by Arctor's two drug addicted layabout housemates, Luck- Luckman and Barris. So it sounds like a comedy <laughs> so far. The, th- the three spend their days intoxicated and having long, paranoid conversations. At the police station, Arctor maintains privacy by wearing a scramble suit that constantly changes every aspect of his appearance, and he is known only by the codename Fred. Now see, his, his name should be Substance D. <laughs> the drug should be called Fred. <laughs> the code name Fred. I think this is now. I don't know, but I think this because I haven't seen this movie either. I think this is Keanu Reeves' character, um, or it could be Robert Downey Jr. I suppose. Arctor's senior officer Hank and all other undercover officers also wear scramble suits, protecting their identities even from each other. Since going undercover, Arctor himself has become addicted to substance D, and has befriended the main woman. He has been spying on a cocaine addict and substance D supplier named Donna. See, she she didn't uh, she 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 didn't fall for the substance D challenge. She tried she tried them both and said, uh, "I prefer the taste of coke, cocaine." Uh, Arctor hopes to purchase large enough quantities of substance D from Donna so that she is forced to introduce him to her own supplier but he has also developed seemingly unrequited romantic feelings towards her. At work, Hank orders Arctor to increase surveillance on Arctor himself and his associates. That's weird, because they don't know what he looks like. So he's both undercover from the drug dealers and his own police department. (laughs) This is getting confusing. Yeah, it's Philip K. Dick, so... (laughs) Arctor's house is now at the center of his own investigation, since this is where Donna and the other addicts in her in her and Arctor's life now spend most of their time. Arctor therefore has to carefully plan his double life, though his though his prolonged use of substance D is damaging his brain, causing him to sometimes forget his own identity. Oh God! Don't watch this movie if you have anxiety. Who am I? Meanwhile, the justified paranoia of Arctor's housemates reaches extreme levels, and Barris secretly communicates to the police his exaggerated belief that Donna and Arctor are terrorists. Barris unknowingly conveys this information in the presence of Arctor himself, whose identity at the time is hidden behind his scramble suit. I wonder who he thought he was. Just some random dude. (laughs) After Barris supplies the police with a faked recording allegedly proving his claims about Donna and Arctor, Hank orders that Barris be held on charges of providing false information. After Barris's arrest, Hank reveals to Arctor that he has deduced him to be the true identity of Fred by a process of elimination. Well, I know it's not me, 
and it's not it's not Donna, so it's got to be you. Arctor seems legitimately surprised and repeats his own name in a disorientated, unfamiliar tone. Hank informs him that the real purpose of the surveillance was to catch Barris, not Arctor, and that the police were deliberately increasing Barris's paranoia until he attempted to cover his tracks. Wow, this is like one of those CIA things that you guys talk about. <laughs> Where they've got some kind of like gas that increases his paranoia. <laughs> Hank reprimands Arctur for becoming addicted to substance D and warns him that he will be disciplined, likely with just a fine, but possibly a few months of penal labor. That is not a good phrase. <laughs> Hank They're gonna make him take so much substance D that he'll never want to do it again. Right. And that's a whole stuff. A lot of they're going to lock him in a closet. (laughs) (laughs) Hank phones Donna. It's phones is in quotation marks, and they haven't provided any. (laughs) (laughs) They haven't provided any information as to why that would be. Like, what is a phone in this world? (laughs) Uh, And asks her to take Arctur to New Path, a corporation that runs a series of rehabilitation clinics. And Arctor, who is rapidly becoming more disorientated, leaves Hank's office, cursing Hank aloud. Afterwards, Hank enters the locker room and removes his scramble suit, revealing his true identity to the audience. Donna. Dun, dun, dun. Uh Uh-oh. At the New Path Clinic, Arctor experiences the symptoms of substance D withdrawal, including more severe brain damage. Wow, that is a... That's... That's a pretty powerful drug if withdrawal is brain damage. You can quit, but, you know. <laughs> he mindlessly repeats what others tell him and utter and utters mostly simplistic responses. Sometime later, Donna, revealed to be another false name. Wow. M. Night Shyamalan had a hand in writing this. <laughs> <laughs> Converses with a fellow police officer, Mike. Hey, that's you. And the audience learns that New Path is responsible for the manufacture and distribution of substance D. Oh, no. I think the audience is just very confused at this point. Yeah. Tell me what the fuck is going on in this movie. (laughs) They use victims of the drug to tend their crops. Since, (laughs) Since being nearly mindless, they can be trusted not to reveal New Path's secret. What? This is like the second thing that we've read where the goal clearly should be to make a lot of money. Like we're creating the we're creating the addicts that we're then, you know, taking money to treat. But their goal is just for forced labor. We got to tend these crops. That crop? Substance D. <laughs> Tana expresses her growing ethical aversion to their police work in which they deliberately selected Arctor without his knowledge to become addicted to substance D all along. His health was sacrificed so that he might eventually enter a new path rehabilitation center unnoticed as a genuine addict and collect incriminating evidence of new paths substance D farms. Donna and Mike debate whether Arctor's mind will recover enough so that he grasps the situation and returns from serving his sentence with substantial evidence to shut down New Path. Spoilers, I guess now. Although this whole thing is because <laughs> they, they this is this is how they tell you spoilers in the final scene. <laughs> new Path gives Arctor a new name, Bruce. That's an improvement, I guess and sends him from the clinic to a labor camp at an isolated New Path farm where he spots rows of blue flowers hidden between rows of corn. 
These flowers, referenced throughout the film, are the source of substance D. As the film ends, Arctor hides a blue flower in his boot, apparently prepared to hand it over to the authorities during his upcoming Thanksgiving respite, though it is not at all clear <laughs> that's the most honest thing in this review. <laughs> though it is not this part's confusing. <laughs> though it is not at all clear whether he has recovered enough of his mental faculties to do so. Oh, that, and yeah, that definitely sounds like it's based on a Philip K. Dick novel. That's a but, roller coaster right there. But Alex Jones plays a preacher in uh, that film. He's actually in two Richard Linkletter films. There's a film called Waking Life, I think, that Richard oh. Linkletter wrote that was like an existential crisis film. And he plays a small role in there, too. So I don't know... If they, I think they're both they're both from Austin. I don't know if that's what the connection is. That's I probably mean, if they're it, personal um, friends or anything. Yeah, I would assume then that Richard Linkletter filmed uh, a decent portion of the film, at least the first one, in Austin, and maybe Alex Jones was just doing extra work uh, and just happened to be in the movie. He was just making sure nothing was uh, was up. <laughs> he was yeah. He was making sure that they weren't. Uh, Richard Linkletter wasn't putting. Uh, water uh in uh, frog ponds to turn them gay or whatever <laughs> or, or filming the mars landing oh god have you ever listened to uh alex jones mike um yeah i i downloaded one of his podcasts before and like um i, I listened to it for about an hour and i was just getting paranoid hearing it it was just like so like <laughs> disturbing. you know it's like there's a monster in every shadow and it's like i mean it doesn't you know make any rational sense but it's just like so overwhelming have you guys ever heard uh, his any of his stuff? No, I haven't. No, yeah, I haven't either. He's quite crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's it He's can... got good deals on gold, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the world is ending by gold. Um, yeah, they all it's, do it's, He's really weird. I'm sorry. I know you're, uh, you're, you guys do a skeptical podcast. He's it's, it's just like a very... Like he basically takes every conspiracy theory whatsoever and puts it together, and if it makes sense, it makes sense. If it doesn't, he pretends it does, and his callers believe it does. It's just, it's really odd. Well, he makes up like a lot of his own stuff too. Now, see, like oh, I'm sure he does. Like, I'm sure he's got plenty of you know uh, he, callers. Like, oh, I heard this guy say you know this, and then next thing you know, well, we have another confirmation. Yeah, what he does is definitely <laughs> a lot different from what RJ and Rachel do. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh... We, we try to bring rational thinking back to, to weird people like that. But they are entertaining. Oh, yeah, yeah for I, sure. I, I love conspiracy theories. They're just like some, I mean, even though, you know, obviously, they're just like the idea that little tiny things connect. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. Oh, well, our main topic tonight, as I've mentioned a couple times, is conspiracy movies. There are a lot of them out there, more than I think I realized when I started to do research for this. Uh, I know this show sounds like we don't do any research at all, <laughs> <clears throat> but I promise I do do some reading before before uh, recording. But uh, yeah, so I've got a list of a few here. Uh, we can just kind of, we'll start with somebody and then we'll just kind of go around a circle, I suppose. But um, yeah, you know, they're, you know, conspiracy theory, all the president's men, kind of, a, a sort of conspiracy. I mean, it's. One that's verified. Um, the Boys from Brazil, uh, Enemy of the State, Sneakers, which was one of my favorite ones in the uh, 
mid-90s. Executive Action, JFK, The Net, They Live, Loose Change. I'm going to talk about that one a little bit. That's uh, a very interesting one. But Mike, what um, what conspiracy movies do you do you like? Do you think are fascinating? Maybe are believable? Um, I mean, I've seen. I mean, obviously, I'd say the documentaries are like the most believable mm-hmm. sort of things. I mean. Another interesting one, uh, there's like two different genres. There's fictional and non-fictional conspiracy movies. Like Fahrenheit 9-11 is a conspiracy, you know, movie in a lot of ways. It's not like, you know, it's just, I mean, they're presenting a theory and, you know, same thing with um, Bowling for Columbine and Michael Moore's movies. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a conspiracy aspect to it. Um, Yep. I, I'm like I'm a really big fan of the genre, but I mean, I, I just I, I can't think. Of, I mean, there's one that I have that's just completely ridiculous, so I think I'm going to save it. But uh, what about uh, what about you guys? Do you have any uh, favorites of uh, conspiracy type movies or skeptical movies, anything like that? Yeah, so we actually just watched Conspiracy Theory off of Mark's recommendation mm-hmm. and uh, loved it. I thought, uh, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I, I thought it was great because it you know taps into MK Ultra, which is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. And then uh, Patriot Games has some conspiracy elements, and I read that book and then also enjoyed the movie. Uh, and then Enemy of the State, which I think you mentioned as well, is a, is a very good one. Yeah, I like uh, <clears throat> Enemy of the State's one of those that it was it was a big hit when it came out. I think it was 98. I, I, yeah, I, I saw the theater, I mean, which is odd because I'm not a really huge Will Smith fan, but I, it looked interesting to me. I think this is one of the ones that we saw in the theater together. When uh, around that time, but uh, yeah, we uh, like uh, I saw. It in the, I remember seeing it in the theater too, and it was it was a big movie. And it was kind of one of the first movies where people sort of took it seriously, at least the fictional ones, not the documentary ones. But they they looked at it and they and they said, oh, you know this this could really happen with all this surveillance and everything. Um, the internet was still obviously. I mean. I don't even know if if you could call it uh, in its infancy. It was uh, in in utero, I think, in in 98. When you look at what you could do online then compared to what it is now. Yeah. Is that conspiracy theory websites have not changed since 1998 either? <laughs> they, they look yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> But it was a movie before its time. I mean, it, uh, 2001 was whenever, you know, going in after 9 11 and all that with the uh, NSA expansion of their net and stuff. Like, it was just three years before whenever that actually became a real fear for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. uh, it was very interesting. Yeah. I, I like it, it, it's more uh, relevant if you watch it now than it was at the time. Oh, I agree yeah, that, for sure. That's, yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely a classic like conspiracy theory in movies because if you think about it, uh, 1984 has the same yes, concept. You're constantly exactly. being watched, but I mean, it's like it just finally came to fruition. You know, who knows? Maybe five years ago, ten. We don't really know exactly how advanced technology is uh, to the military and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, it? and that was. Oh, sorry. No, ahead. no, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Mike bringing up uh, documentaries. I actually didn't even think about it in regards to preparing for this podcast but yeah i mean the documentaries have been on the front of either confirming or spawning new conspiracy theories you know forever so like one that i thought of uh that was relevant um even though it's not like a like a big like national security conspiracy but it was interesting was uh, icarus if you guys have seen it no. oh, was that the, yeah. the, the russian doping the scandal? doping exactly yes. yeah I've, I've heard about it actually on the joe rogan podcast but yeah i, I haven't seen it yet what's it uh what's it all 
Yeah, so it's about um, the Russian doping scam- scandal uh, in the, the Olympics, both Sochi and Brazil, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, how the guy who kind of figure it all, figured it all out um, linked up with one of their main doping scientists, and that dude just, like, red-rabbited the whole thing. I mean, he, he, he went and wanted to make it all public, and, and then his life was in pretty severe danger. It's, it's a very interesting, and it actually started off uh, it starts off with him just trying to prove the uh, efficacy of doping. Like, he, so the documentary filmmaker like starts off just trying to see how be- how much better he can bike while doped, and then in trying to figure this out, he makes the contact with this Russian scientist, and then totally unravels the whole Russian uh, doping scandal in-, in and of itself. So then the film also then turns towards that. It's a very very interesting, and it is also interesting to see how. Uh, Russia has maintained their level of, I mean, they're not the KGB anymore, but they might as well be like, it, it's, it's really cool. That does sound good. I think I'll, I'll check that one out. And that's obviously, like you said, I mean, it's not like a earth shattering, like, you know, affect the entire world kind of um, uh, conspiracy. But I think sometimes be, when the stakes are a little bit lower, when the stakes aren't like, you know, the destruction of the entire world or, or our free way of life, um, you, you end up finding out a lot more about certain conspiracies and you're able right. to get in a little deeper because obviously if there's, if there are conspiracies out there trying to curtail, you know, the freedom of everyone or, or, you know, things like that, they'll be, you would think they would be as heavily guarded as possible and there'd be a lot less access to, to information like that, it's, ones like this, it seems like you can get a little more information from. Exactly. I think the interesting part behind that, too, is that it it opens the door to, hey, if they put up this much resource and this much effort to the Olympics, then imagine what they're doing with something like, for instance, the, U- the U.S. election. Right. right. Like, And I think that's really what gives it credence is you have this small scale struggle. I mean, like the Olympics, you know call it a war right like you're just trying to make your nation look better than everyone else's well imagine how many resources and how much effort they're dumping into real you know political uh intrigue so that that i think is what makes that interesting to me is the fact that you know if they're gonna dump i mean and they did they funded his entire lab like extreme amount of funding a lot of security if they're gonna dump that into just doping for the olympics you know can't imagine what they're doing on the political sphere yeah, yeah that's, for sure. that's definitely like a very deep, very frightening hole you can uh, fall into, like looking into like Russian like political conspiracies and assassinations and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Oh yeah, it's it's a rabbit hole so deep. Like the especially even the uh, the election tampering allegedly. Uh, please forgive me, Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Our server goes down. <laughs> yeah, even, even that's like fascinating. Like there are different teams called like after bears. One's like golden bear, one's fancy bear, and they all have their different departments of the Russian military. Ooh, fancy, you know, fancy bear. What has picture the church of? Yeah, I, don't, I assume the translation is a lot more scary sounding. No, I know. <laughs> Get out of here! He's fancy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, it's really, I mean, in like the, uh, the, the, I can't remember his name, Alexander something, the, you know, descendant in England and the other guy in England, you know, poisoned and, you know, people, some people, not me personally, maybe the rest of you <laughs> think it's a uh, Russian. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, 
there there's a tendency in Russia for people critical of Putin and the government to uh, die or disappear. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, it's hard. It must be hard to solve crimes in Russia because a lot of them go completely unsolved, even though Vladimir Putin himself runs the investigation. I don't understand why they can't figure out what happened. <laughs> He's just not a very good detective. That's it. <laughs> He's like, I got this guy. Don't what, worry. What if that was it? What if, what if for some reason, what if Vladimir Putin didn't really commit any of these crimes, but he was like Inspector Gadget? He <laughs> <laughs> and like... uh, O.J. Simpson team up to solve crimes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find that uranium poisoner, then we'll get the real killer. <laughs> oh, God. O.J. You know, that's that was 94, so that's coming up on the podcast this summer. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, Are you yeah. going to watch the trial day by day reported? Yeah, that's right. I can't. I, well, it's weird to say that I can't wait for the death of Nicole Brown Simpson oh. and Ronald Coldman, but I mean, you know, you know what I mean. You should warn her. Use the podcast. <laughs> oh, if only it, it happened that way. But uh, what if it did? I probably wouldn't. I honestly, I probably wouldn't warn her because I would be too afraid that uh, that it would change the world in some weird fundamental way, the butterfly effect, and and you sorry, know. you have to die. But, but what if your co-host was her sister? <laughs> Wait, what? Say, say say instead of your wife, uh, your co-host for that podcast was uh, Nicole Brown's sister. Oh, would that change your would that change your opinion on this? <laughs> I think I think that would be in uh, in horrible taste if we got someone to pretend to be Nicole's sister. No, no, no. I mean, what if she really was your partner? On the- this is oh, no- okay. So you're creating a scenario in which somehow I know Nicole Brown Simpson's sister. You're like, hey, this is about your sister. You probably want to be at this one. Oh God, let's relive these days. Oh, sounds like fun. Oh, one of the movies that I saw for, um, speaking of murder, I guess, one of the movies that I watched is a a film I've never seen before called uh, Executive Action. This movie came out in 1973, so 10 years after, actually it uh, was released November 7th, 1973, so almost 10 years to the day of um, President Kennedy's assassination, and it stars uh, Burt Lancaster, Robert Ryan, and Will Greer. And it's about the Kennedy assassination. It's one of the first that I was able to find films uh, about the assassination that takes the point of view of it being a secret government group. They meet in the Mojave Desert and stuff like that. They reference Franklin Roosevelt's at one point, and they say that, you know, there are times where presidents basically need to be killed. Uh, they're, they're, these are assassins that work for the government. Jed Burt Lancaster is the the head assassin, and they mention Abraham Lincoln, James Garfield, William McKinley, and they say uh, that some you know it's called an executive action to assassinate the president, basically, and they're going to do it to uh, President Kennedy because of his anti-war sentiments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know things like that. That that's the the reason that they give. So this is obviously uh, when this movie came out, when this movie was being made, and when it came out, it's tail end of the Vietnam War era. So there's a lot of Vietnam, you know, uh, subtext to a lot of this film. And 
they give that as the reason for them doing it. And it's it's kind of a coalition between the CIA, the mob, and these government assassins. Uh, they end up killing... Uh, they end up showing, like, the killing of Jack Ruby in this movie and stuff like that. Uh, um, Robert Kennedy is uh, referenced, uh, although I don't believe... They, or they don't show his actual assassination. But it begins with a voiceover from uh, President Johnson saying that he doubts the Warren Commission's findings. And the narration says that the segment of this, because he was asked about uh, the Kennedy assassination and the Warren report uh, on television. And this is, and he actually said these things in real life, Lyndon Johnson did. And uh, the narration ends by saying that the segment didn't ever run on television. It was cut from the program by Johnson's request. So, and then it, it ends in a similar fashion, uh, the film. But it's, and it's like, uh, it, it ends with uh, the Sunday Times saying that the probability that uh, um, all these people, these different people that witnessed the assassination all dying because they talk about how there's uh, 18 material witnesses and all of Toom have di- all of two have died of unnatural causes within three years of the assassination, and it says that the odds of that would be uh, one hundred thousand trillion to one. So you know it's it's an interesting film, for sure, and like I said, is the Kennedy assassination you know ten years later still fairly fresh in the minds of the American public. I'm sure it, it had to be a difficult movie to make. During that time, you know, when uh, if you did one about the Kennedy assassination now, I mean, it sounds glib, I suppose, but it's been so long since it happened. It tends, it, you know, things tend to cool down. Just like if you made a, a movie about 9-11 a year after it happened versus 10 years from now, you know, it would be, it would certainly be different. The emotion isn't as raw, but it's, it's a very good movie. And it brings up a lot of interesting points and ideas about the Kennedy assassination. And that is one of the conspiracy. That's the, I think probably that's the king of all conspiracies. Would you guys say that's the one that everyone sort of uh, knows and talks about? Definitely. I think that's the main. It's definitely the gateway drug to conspiracies, I would say. (laughs) It is, yeah. I think, uh, and and it's quickly being overtaken by uh, 9-11 in a lot of circles, too. And actually, I was going to draw that parallel. Like, I couldn't imagine if someone in 2011 made a, like, mainstream film about 9-11 being an inside job. Like, how that would go over. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and, you know, Burt Lancaster was was a big star. You know, I, I mean, he was older in 73, but certainly still a big celebrity at the time. And it definitely was a, uh, a popular mainstream film. What's interesting is I think this is, I'm pretty sure this is pre Zapruder film, like before it was like out in the open. I thought that was like only like on, you know, on, um, on earth in like 1978 or so. Is that, am I mistaken? No, I believe now. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to look it up real quick, but I believe that's correct. That, um, it was under, uh, government hands, for uh, that period of time, and like fifteen years or something, or I thought 15. it was even twenty-five. I thought it was a thirteen. I thought it was fifteen as well. When you, yeah, um, I, I know that there was the 
the cover, you know, it was on the cover of Time, uh, but just the just one of the stills from it. But as far as right. people actually getting to to see it, uh, do... isn't it isn't it kind of strange that uh, pretty much I'm sure all of us on this have seen that movie or seen that you know clip so frequently. Mm-hmm. That it just doesn't even phase you anymore. Like you don't even think of it as like a person's head explosion. A person, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's just it's and you just see another it from such YouTube a young video. age too. At least I did. Like, cause yeah, I, I I think it was like ten or younger when I first saw it. Yeah, I was. Yeah. That was I mean, I could confidently say that was the first death I ever saw. Yeah, I, I would say with probably with me too. Yeah, I think so too. Let's see, sixty-seven, Life you uh, Life magazine. That's right. Um, they made. A copy from the original in 68, they used some stills. Uh, They used it in the trial of Clay Shaw, but obviously that wasn't uh, released to the public. Uh, 1975, uh, ABC late night television show, Good Night America, hosted by Geraldo Rivera. Oh, see, uh, I knew it was Geraldo Rivera. I just wasn't sure what year it was. I thought it was 78, I don't know why. Yeah, uh, 75, yes. And then uh, uh, they didn't... Okay, so let's see. The, they had a, There was a royalties lawsuit between Time and the Zapruder Errors in 75 after it was shown on uh, that show by Geraldo Rivera. It That was uh, settled in... 1978. In 1978, the family transferred the film to the National Archives and Records Administration. So 78 was when it was able to be uh, disseminated to the public. And when did the film come out again? Um, 73, you said? 75, 1975. So the the movie? Yeah, the movie came out in 73. So it's still pre-Zapruder film. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that, that, like I said, that's the, the Kennedy one. I mean, it, it makes sense because it was an enormous event. Uh, the assassination of a president actually filmed during an era when, when you could film it. Um, and you know, like, uh, television, uh, you know, the last, the last assassination before Kennedy's assassination was William McKinley's, uh, in, um, 18 uh or 19 what was it 1901 18? oh, oh one, no yeah. no no it was like like eight uh, yeah, he I think was Wilson re-elected was in 18. 1898 yeah. i believe so it was 19 yeah, yeah. yeah um so obviously there wasn't television then yeah but um you know you got walter cronkite talking about it and everything obviously it was a big uh impact and everyone who was alive then remembers where they were much like 9-11 when they heard about the kennedy assassination so that it makes sense that that would be a huge area for conspiracy theories much like 9-11 is for a lot of people this generation which kind of leads into uh another film that i i've seen before and i watched a little bit of it again in preparation for this but loose change uh came out on the internet and do you guys you get have you guys seen any of you guys seen this uh the loose change movie no i haven't nope Okay. I haven't either. I've I've really? heard of it, but I, I haven't seen it. It just doesn't interest me. I'm I'm I mean, at eleven conspiracies, I really I just don't care for them that much. I don't know why. What about you guys? Do you or do you have a particular one you're really fond of? I'm not a nine eleven truther at all. Um 
I mean, I think uh, Tower Seven. I think is the one. That, like, it is intriguing to me, but no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't d- dived into that world yet. Yeah, same. I I find it really interesting, but I'm not like this is my jam. So there are, there are two ways that like I kind of review loose change when people ask me about it. And one is from a movie making slash like YouTube uh, standpoint, because this guy, uh, Dylan Avery made this movie, you know, ostensibly by himself. He had some help from a couple friends, uh, uh, Corey Rowe and Jason Burmas. And, um, Alex Jones also uh, had a hand in it later. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> like, uh, you know, Dylan Avery wrote it. He did the um, narration and everything. He put all the the clips together and stuff like that. And then as it got popular, uh, Alex Jones kind of came on board later and helped him add some more things, get some more interviews, and, and it, it became updated in 2009. But in 2005, he did this initially, and this was when YouTube was just starting out. And from a, a movie-making point of view, a, a making a YouTube movie point of view, it's um, it's really, really good. Like, especially considering how early this was in YouTube and, uh, you know, people didn't have... The programs they do now, the techniques that they do now, you know, he didn't have anyone really to to learn from to, to make this. It's a very good documentary style fan film, basically, that um, that he made, uh, basically giving his doubts about 9-11. He doesn't explicitly say that 9-11 was an inside job or anything like that, but he kind of, he brings up a lot of a lot of um, points as to why it could be like, like questions that he has that he doesn't have rational answers for. And um, he throws out some possibilities and there are a few things now, now reviewing it on a, does it make sense as a conspiracy uh, basis to me? It, it doesn't. And I am also not a nine uh, eleven truther guy. I, I've, had questions i think that it's healthy to ask questions about uh you know official um like official uh stories about what happened and and things like that um and that you know that's fine and there are certain things there are certain aspects that i that i question for instance one of the things that he brings up in the film is that the both towers fell and he times it although you know, he does a little bit of uh, tricky editing with this timing, and I don't think it's exactly as he uh, as he shows it in the film. But he says that basically the towers fell uh, at the speed of gravity with almost no resistance, and that it's not something you see in buildings that just fall down. It's something more you see in controlled demolitions and things like that. Um and so that's one of the things he questions. And that's, you know, I think I have some questions about that. Uh, he also says that he also talks about how jet, and I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but how he says that jet fuel burdens at a certain 
degree, like if it's, I don't know, like 420 degrees Fahrenheit, and steel doesn't melt until like 500 degrees Fahrenheit, something. Those numbers aren't accurate. I, that's just an right. example, because I, I can't remember exactly what the numbers were, but it burned at a lower temperature than it would need to to melt steel. And like when he said that, I remember thinking, well, this it didn't have to melt the steel. Like, right. no, in, fact, it, yeah. in fact, it didn't melt the steel. It, uh, it just yeah. lost to like eighty percent of its strength or something like that. Yeah, that yeah. all you have yeah. to all you have to do is is damage it enough to yeah, where right. it can no longer support a giant building. Right. I, and think, was... I think most of the nine eleven like conspiracy theories are just gaps in education. Right. It's popular mechanics, but an article that just explained everything just you know perfectly and rationally. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. in uh, MIT, I, I can't remember the exact circumstances. I believe it was in in regards to how not to have that happen again, because actually a lot of giant towers now are engineered to withstand, to withstand plane strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, they recreated the Twin Towers uh, both on a small scale and then digitally, and it followed every model that they had. And uh, like you said, and um, I've, I, I've had a lot of weird jobs in the past but i also have a lot of weird hobbies and one of them is metalworking and if you heat and twist steel you realize it is is not very strong well before the melting point you know and, right sure and then that's the other thing too is like uh that the the two principal claims one um jet jet fuel can't melt steel and then two that it uh had little resistance compared to the speed of gravity those both of those have been uh thrown out the window by major institutions and then also uh a lot of physicists as well like uh those those claims just didn't really have much weight even though and and i think the jet jet fuel thing really picked up from rosie o'donnell so (laughs) and i i have a life motto of just not not listening to rosie o'donnell (laughs) yeah she only got her phd in material science from a state college right Exactly. Yeah, yes, like, I'll take MIT over Rosie O'Donnell in any heavyweight fight at any given moment. <laughs> you don't. You don't trust her. Uh, her insights in the movie Exit to Eden. <laughs> <laughs> Another big problem is like I, they always have these petitions. Like, look, five hundred scientists have signed this, but then you look at it and like, I'm an oceanographer. It's like, what, what do you know <laughs> more than I do? I mean, this is exact. I mean, seriously, like for like the climate change is like, well, I'm a uh, I'm a history teacher, so. You know, I know about climate change. And it's like, what does that have to do with anything? It's never, you know, legitimate scientists that right. are studying these things. In their field, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, the, um, yeah. So it's interesting, you know, like that gap in knowledge that you point out, Mike. I think a lot of conspiracies come from that. One of the one of the things with the Kennedy assassination, you know, and it's in the movie JFK. It's one of the big lines in the movie JFK. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking Kevin about. Kevin Costner says the it. The magic uh, bullet. You know, all the time where, you know, he, talk, yeah, he talks about the magic bullet and how it had to, you know, go from here to there to there. Right. And, you know, it's that's parodied on Seinfeld and, and in tons of different places. But it's the gap of knowledge that people assumed that Governor Connolly was uh, sitting in front of president kennedy and then he was sitting level in front of president kennedy on the on you know on the same level and you know they were parallel which was not the case he was in a jump seat which was lower and you know moved slightly in and if you you know if you i've seen the 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 car uh you know the uh i think it's uh, the lincoln and um 
you know, if you look at it, it, it's clear that, you know, that is the case. And when you redo the model to, you know, show what their actual spatial relationship was to each other, it's a straight line bullet that, that, you know, accounts for all their injuries. So that's another, you know, situation where it's a a gap of knowledge. The 9-11 thing, no matter how many interesting questions people bring up that I might not know the answer to or not have the answer to. Like our friend Ben likes to point out, and he's also not a 9-11 truther, but it's something we like to discuss because we just like to talk about conspiracy theories. Uh, but he, he talks about how a couple of their passports were, terrorist passports were found on the ground and in, uh, you know, outside the buildings completely untouched, you know, like not burned or anything. And, you know, Anything, anytime someone brings up something like that where it's like, well, I don't know exactly how something like that could happen, I always counter it by saying, okay, let's assume that it was a conspiracy. Now I have way more questions. Right. <laughs> now, right. Now it seems like way, like it just, it's like if you, if you make the assumption that it was a conspiracy, it just becomes way harder to believe. Right, and for the record, I believe that's been disproven. I think that was actually different people's passports. Oh, okay. Well, and that was one of the things. Like, so Tower Seven, right, is one of the main ones that people talk about. Of how did it go down? And and I haven't brushed up on it recently, so I don't know if you know they figured out what it was. But the big thing to me is, if I were in a boardroom of dudes coming up with this conspiracy. I wouldn't say, yeah, let's bring down that building that wasn't hit by the plane. That won't raise any red flags, you know, like, (laughs) like, I think it's like, it's like the moon landing thing. So many people think it's fake, but like they got so much stuff right that they, that they couldn't have planned for. It's the same thing with 9-11. Like that would, that would just be so stupid. Like some other guy with a, with a roll of debt cord is walking over to tower seven and no one saw him, you know, so I think that's one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Just, just just (laughs) think of that. Just the fact that out of all the terrible things that happened that day, they had to get to Tower 7 that burned to the ground. That's like the only place they could find something wrong with. Like, ah, oh, that tower, that didn't go. Right. <laughs> Basically, like, you know, everything else, like, okay, well, they can explain this, but uh, we don't know how that happened. So I think they were being closely monitored, you know, right after the uh, plane struck. Oh, let's get to Tower 7. The, right. w- the one conspiracy that I've heard somebody have about 9 11 that I think to myself, okay, that's possible. Um, is that somebody like uh, one of the military people shot down flight 93 and I can see why they'd cover that up. I, and I can see, and I can see why they I really do don't it. see why that would actually be a good indicator for them as far as national security goes. Well, here's yeah. the, th- here's the thing. Like that plane was clearly heading to, to Washington, probably to the white house or to the Capitol building. Um, I think the Capitol building was a primary target. And, you know, if the jets were scrambled and in the air and, you know, they said there's no way to bring this plane down other than to shoot it down and to kill all the Americans on board. And we're going to do that rather than have the, you know, the Capitol building destroyed. Um, I can see why there would be uproar about that from the American people. I could see why people would be like, you know, that's terrible that you did that, you know, and everything, even though 
if the plan had gone to fruition, they would have died anyway. But I could see why there would be people that would be up in arms about that. And I can see why the government would want to make that decision and then also want to cover up that decision. And if that happened, if they if they made that decision, I honestly, it does not bother me. I mean, it bothers me in the fact that people died, but I don't right. I don't begrudge them that decision. I don't... The decision-making yeah. process makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's one of those things that um, and I think it was documented. I mean, the jets were scrambled and they were ready to do it. It was just uh, that they didn't. I think the only thing behind that theory that to me never really had much weight was the black box recording of the people that fought back, like yep. in, yeah. in the, the various phone calls, like they, they made the conscious decision to bring the plane down. Yep. So, um, yeah. and you, I mean, of course you're going to always have those people out there that are like, well, the government can fake anything. I get it. But people, recognize their loved ones voices on the on those mm-hmm. on those recordings so that that's the thing that to me um and i 100 percent agree with you like i i wouldn't honestly blame the government for wanting to hide that if that were the case it's just i don't think they had to get there like yeah. w- were they capable of doing it i i definitely think they would but i just don't i hope they, they are yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. yeah definitely for sure but um but yeah i uh and the the person that brought it up to me uh, the, this this conspiracy theory. My response to him was, um, you know, I don't think that happened. I, and I said the same thing you did. I said I wouldn't. It, you know, if it came out that that happened, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me, and I wouldn't be angry at the government for doing that. But I don't think that happened. And he said, well, why didn't the other ones fight back? And I said, no, 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 no. I said you're thinking about this from a post nine eleven point of view. Anytime anyone had hijacked a plane before. It was, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to Cuba and we're going to hold you people hostage, you know, and whatever. No one had ever used a plane as a weapon before. So right. when yeah, the, and in the seventies, there were quite a few like hijackings. It yeah. was like a very common thing. Yeah, and so when the first two, so when the first two got hijacked, or the first three got hijacked, um, and you know, like they, you know, rammed them into the buildings, the the people wouldn't have thought oh we we need to fight back or we're going to die they were right. they were yeah. thinking they were thinking we're going to have to just ride this out until they ransom us back to you know the united states or or you know whatever happens or the authorities come and find us wherever they end up landing this plane um but flight 93 was later and they saw the news reports they saw yep. what was going to happen they were the ones that knew that they were going to ram this plane into a building, and they said we have to we have to do something. So yeah, and that was that was well documented that I, uh, that they even had phone calls to the airplane. I think it was, I think his name was uh, Mark Mark Bingham or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was Mark Bingham uh, reached out to his mom, and like they he he was well aware of the situation. And I think on one of the voicemails, he said words to the effect of "We're going to bring this thing down." So. Yep. Yeah, yeah and, and you're 100% right. Like, those first three planes, uh, the major assumption of everybody's was, you know, they're, they're going to just hold them for ransom. Like, I think the ones in the 70s you guys were talking about, like, other than D.B. Cooper, I think a lot of them never even left the runway. A lot of those guys did the ransom on the ground. So, yeah. yeah. That's another... Yeah, especially, like, in Europe, there's a, quite a few, you know, with, like, uh, Islamic terrorism. and, and stuff, yeah. I have two main problems with uh, the 9-11 conspiracy. This particular one, the, the Flight 94, I think it was. What, the first one is... 93, my yeah. apologies. Um, yeah, the big, the first one is a very common like you know, reason that I disbelieve in a certain conspiracy theory. There's just way too many people involved. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, right. there's... 
I mean, if you know, if they actually shot down the missile, there would be so many people. I mean, if you can't just launch a missile and not have any accounting of it or proof that it was launched, <laughs> right. or, you know, right? Any, you know, there'd be, you know, especially nowadays with you know the prevalent technology, you could you, there'd be videos of it. You know, people would see a missile fly and hit hit a plane. And second, it's exactly. just to me, it's like the lowliest of the low. I mean, there are certain grades, of, but I mean, just the ones where they claim there's crisis actors, like the Alex Jones, like Newton Newtown massacre. That, that's just like the worst, I think, in my opinion. Like that just like at least such a bad taste as far as conspiracy. I mean, I like when they're fun, but not like when they're like, oh, well, the government, you know, murdered all these people. And right, right. I think there is a there's a line to be crossed from the assassination of one person when nations are constantly behind assassinations. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, a nation being behind a mass civilian massacre. And, yeah. and uh, another thing in regards to what you just said about the missiles, uh, like people were following the plane. Like there were people on the scene in that field where they crashed very quickly. They would have definitely seen a missile launch. And I have seen postulated out there that the uh, fighter plane that brought them down actually brought them down by ramming the plane. And that just makes no sense either. Cause you would, right. you would see the damage as it was coming down. Like yeah. It's yeah, I think it would incinerate if it just touched it. I mean, those jets are so huge compared to a fighter jet. Right. Yeah. I just think it's, it's just too, it's too dirty. Right. Like, and like I said, like going back to that conspiracy boardroom, it would just be the dumbest thing I think you could do would be, you know, let's make a spectacle of this and do it in front of everybody. And just to make such an executive decision so quickly that no one, you know, would it would just immediately, like, the president would call the fighter pilot directly, hey, you need to do this. I mean, there'd right. be so many layers within that 30 minutes to an hour it took to get through to even have the order, if there was one, transmitted. Right. Yeah, I think the only conspiracies that really have a chance at being true are ones from way back when, like... uh for instance, like <clears throat> the USS Maine and whether or not that was actually uh, bombed by the Spanish that got us into the sure. Spanish-American War. Uh, because, you know, technology at the time would have allowed for fewer people to be involved in a conspiracy like that and for it sure. to be more covered covered up uh, more easily. Um, I'm not saying that is a true conspiracy. I'm just saying I, those ones, I think, have more of a chance of being true than ones nowadays and then ones where you know select military personnel or other people that are used to lying to everyone and keeping secrets even from their family and stuff like that um you know are able to to where you keep the the um the amount the cabal small and and of people that are trained to keep secrets like this a la like the pentagon papers um for the, the Vietnam era, where certain people made decisions that we were going to escalate uh, our uh, involvement in Vietnam, all the while telling the American people that we weren't doing that. Right. Um, yeah. So See, I can I can I can almost never go for a technical conspiracy like when it relies on like you know supposed like thrown together scientific evidence that's easily disproved. Hmm. But some other like nine eleven conspiracies are actually like relating to like personnel. Like you know, they say, "Hey, uh, they knew this was happening." I can get behind that kind of conspiracy because that, I mean, just the ambiguity of that is just really what draws me in. Well, and it's that's really like the realm that our podcast exists in is that we we are firm believers that what everybody knows of nine eleven is probably not what ha- what fully happened, and then the full on conspiracies are also not what happened, but it is likely somewhere in between. And like because we almost never know everything 
Right. They're not going to tell us everything Why would for you? obvious reasons. Uh, yeah. And there's just so many layers of like, you know, the FAA is not going to give out how they handled that situation because then the next hijacker would know, you know? So like, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of layers to that. And I think one thing for me is I also never underestimate the uh, nation's ability, whether it's army, Navy or intelligence, like to have a secret because sure. um, like the USS Liberty um, that got, uh, you know, attacked by, uh, Israeli forces. Do you guys know about that event? I, I don't know about that one, no. Uh, so it was back in the 60s, I believe. Um, but yeah, we actually had a ship that was uh, attacked by uh, Israel. And a lot of people don't know about that. Um, and the official reason behind the attack has never uh, been given out, ever. Um, and actually, I, had a, I hadn't heard of it before until my uh, history professor at TCU uh, was actually one of the people on radar during that. And so he's one of the few human beings alive to know the entire story start to finish. And he uh, he said that of everything he's ever read, nothing has come close to the truth. So oh, wow. um, yeah, that's one of those things that uh, to me is very uh, validating to the you know people's ability to keep the secrets that they need to keep. Because uh, yeah, I mean, to this day, you can, you can Google it a lot and there's a ton of theories and there's a lot of reasoning behind it. But at, at the end of the day, uh, we actually don't know why that occurred. So if that was, you said that was 67? I was in the 60s. I can't exactly remember the date. Yeah. So if it was 67, I'm guessing that it was sometime in June of 67 because that was... Uh, was it the seven-day war? Six-day war, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that one wasn't as bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was one day left. One day easier. Um, oh, yeah, a, a war yeah, day is June, much longer than a regular day. That's true. Yeah, June 8th, 1967, during the six-day war, yep. Um, so, uh, so like, things like that and, like, the Gulf of Tonkin incident and things like that, um, I think when, when it's something that happens during a war, there is much more of a propensity for it to be a successful conspiracy, at least for a certain amount of time, because... You know, there's certain uh, hierarchies, chains of command, uh, soldiers doing things that they don't necessarily even completely understand, but they follow orders because that's what they're trained to do uh, with maybe not even having complete information. And right. and so there are a few people, you know, higher ups in charge. So, you, you know, it's another situation where you can keep the amount of people small that know exactly what's going on. And I, I think, you know, war situations lend more towards being able to to pull off a successful conspiracy at least for for a certain amount of time even like propaganda type conspiracies they wouldn't allow like uh soldiers going over to afghanistan to like be filmed coming home in coffins you know that's still Mm -hmm. a conspiracy in a sense because they're effectively banning you know the first amendment from you know properly being yeah right Oh, what a cheery podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. I feel that way. Really brought our tone I feel that over. way about like 90% of our podcast episodes. <laughs> By the end of it, I'm like, I need to watch something funny. This is so sad. Um, yeah, there have been a couple times where we were actually like in the middle of one and just like, okay, we need to, we need to <laughs> tone a bit. Nice. And there, there's one, I think it's uh, one that I, I think this is actually a mistake, but some people, there's a conspiracy, I think it's called the Northwood Papers. Where there was like uh, supposedly there was like a plan to like hijack jets like in a su- situation similar to nine eleven that people say is like oh they were gonna do this it just, they just didn't get the go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually never heard of that. Yeah, it's I think it was during um, the Cuban uh, 
Cuban invasion, uh, the Bay of Missile Pigs. Yeah. yeah, but then it was like eerily similar. Like a, you know, people are like always say, "Oh, they were going to publish this," was, but I mean, I don't know if many people know this, but there's basically a plan to do almost anything you would need to do in any warlike scenario in the United right. States government somewhere. I mean, there's oh, yeah. a plan to invade Iowa if we need to. I mean, it's right. there's a plan for everything. So if one of these plans is like public, it's not necessarily a conspiracy. It's there's there's a plan. I mean, that's if you can say anything, there's a plan. That right. reminds me of a, a George Goebbels joke. Um, I almost said Goebbels. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I want to hear this one. Very different person. But, <laughs> a different uh, type of conspiracy show. No, George, George Goebbels was a uh, a comedian in the 1960s. And uh, he talked about how he was uh, he served during World War II. And he was stationed, he was in the Air Force, and he was stationed in... Uh, Nebraska, and everyone laughs when he says he was stationed in Nebraska, and he goes, now everyone laughs when I say that, but I'll tell you, you go and look at the uh, the news reports and everything, and you'll find that um, not one Japanese fighter got past Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> there actually, I don't know if it was in Nebraska, but there were like uh, concentration camps for POWs in the United States, too, which yeah. is, I don't think a lot of people know about, so I wonder if that's what he actually did. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I think he was more, I think because he was already in um, the entertainment world at the time, I think he was probably doing a radio show or, you know, one of those like, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, Democracy. USO type thing. Yeah. Right. Um, War bonds. But speaking of uh, World War II, I think I'll... uh, I'll uh, lighten the mood of the the podcast and tell you about the Nazi movie, The Boys from Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) Light subject matter. (laughs) Um, This is a movie based on a book from uh, Ira Levin uh, starring Gregory Peck and Laurence Olivier and uh, James Mason as well um, from 1978. And basically it is about... Uh, a group of Nazi scientists who made their way to uh, Brazil to hide out, basically. And uh, Gregory Peck plays uh, Joseph uh, Mengele, um, the Auschwitz doctor. And uh, did, they, did they know as much about him then as they do now? I don't think so. I hope not. Um, but yeah, it's uh, basically they're, uh, they hold these meetings in Paraguay. Um, and they're planning on like a a reinstatement, like a Fourth Reich uh, in South America, and that's kind of what the the movie is about. It's a thriller uh, about them creating this new new thing, and and that's another one. Uh, even before the Kennedy assassination, I don't know if that would be the biggest one before before that happened or not. I'd have to do some research on that. But um, they, uh, there, you know, there was always rumors that people, you know, Nazis had escaped. That you know, certain Nazi soldiers or or Nazi higher ups, doctors, things like that, had escaped and made their way to places throughout the world, including mm-hmm. South America was was a big one. <clears throat> and obviously, that turned out to be somewhat correct. Because yeah. some of them, you know, did. So it's one of those conspiracies that's sort of based on reality and kind of paranoia. Uh, obviously, World War II would have been the largest event 
prior to Kennedy's assassination that happened uh, in this country and the world. So, you know, those are all, I always say that, um, you know, and I do, I'm not a complete doubter. I, I know that there are some quote unquote conspiracies that, you know, are true, have been proven true and probably others that will be proven true in the future. But it seems to me like, uh, the psychology behind why conspiracies are so popular is because we look at these big, enormous events like uh, the Kennedy assassination or 9-11, these things that change our way of life, change our thinking, uh, have huge impacts. And, you know, it, it's it's incongruent to our human brains that one person could have created this giant event or, you know, 11 hijackers could create this giant event. And so we want balance and conspiracy theories kind of give us that balance. You know, this is a huge thing. So there must've been a huge thing behind it. Well, I think also a lot of it, um, the way I've always kind of felt about it is a lot of it stems from fear. Not only we talked about the lack of knowledge and I think obviously ignorance breeds fear Mm -hmm. a lot of times, but also I think the fact that we all, even those of us who do have maybe more knowledge in it and things like that, we know we don't know everything. Yep. We know that. And so we want to make it so it makes the most sense to us. We want to say, okay, this is like this is what we do know. So let's see if I can I can form more knowledge on this just because I think it's so scary to think about the world where we know so little about what's going on around us. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's also just a <clears throat> and I, you know, I was reading about, you know, conspiracy theories and why not even um why they exist because I mean that ever since like humans have grouped into people, there have been people like not sharing the full truth about things, right? Like that's just a certainty, but why is it that we as humans are drawn to sharing theories about things? And, and one of the main things that uh, like psychologists go back to is that uh, we as human beings have an innate want to be like, I know something you don't know, or I see something you guys don't see. Mm-hmm. And that's where it kind of gets its power is that um, just we're petty as shit. And like, we, <laughs> we really like to just, you know, have that kind of like one up and uh, type of thing. And, and that's, that's where, you know, a lot of these conspiracy type guys, like, like what Mel Gibson played in the conspiracy theory movie, you know, and, and he did it really well. But I think like those type of people are the Dale Gribbles of the world, right? Like um, they, they, thrive on you know i'm woke and you guys aren't and i think that that's that's something that you take something that legitimately does happen right because conspiracies like i say it all the time jfk like uh anytime somebody conspires to murder somebody there is a conspiracy theory out there it's just which one is right right Right. like so like because we we label conspiracy theory has such a negative connotation but it's it's a fact of the matter like those hijackers conspired in 9-11 now whether or not they had funding or guidance from someone else doesn't matter there was a conspiracy theory now will we ever know everything even, yeah about even, it? No. even the official story is a conspiracy theory it a, is it's, uh, it's, you know, it's the one that's a terrorist group everybody. from the middle east or from you know the... right but uh yeah um yeah I, I i totally agree and i think you know i don't like when uh conspiracy theory gets a you know bad reputation because I think it's healthy to question official stories. I think it's healthy to to look into things to just blindly accept what you're told is you know not not a good way to live your life. 
Um, So I think, uh, you know, I definitely think it's healthy to to question that thing and like kind of coming on to your uh, to, you know, the title of your your podcast, Skeptical Skeptics. I think it's also um, healthy to question conspiracy theories. Basically, you know, you can't you can't really get to the truth unless you question all of it. You know, and just kind of sure. distill it down to, okay, this is what we know, this is what we can prove, uh, you know, kind of thing. Um, well, I think... Are, are there any uh, conspiracy theories you guys are, like, really behind, like, you are really, like, skeptical of? Like, you know, this might... Yeah, so me personally, and she doesn't believe with me in this one, but I... Uh, and it's one uh, Mark, I think, talked about joining us for this one when we do our JFK special, because I do believe there is quite a bit more to that than Lee Harvey Oswald just acting as a lone gunman. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I wouldn't say that I See, don't. I, I, I I'm just saying I don't, I'm not super interested. Is the bigger <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, I can see, I, I actually believe the official story on that one because there's so many things like Mark pointed out earlier and also with bullets themselves, I mean, as to whether, I mean, all the technical stuff, I, 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 I believe is true. But I mean, yeah, as far as, you know, who actually ordered it, he exactly. did, I think he acted alone. I mean, you know, I mean, is, is there a way you could show that he didn't? Sure, there's probably a thousand ways, but that doesn't mean that he actually didn't act alone. You know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, for me, the intrigue. So I actually think he was the only shooter. Like, I don't think there was anyone on the grassy knoll, and I definitely don't think that person fired a shot. Um, for me, I think it was the me- the machinations of it. Like, all seem to be lined up with what was released. Uh, for me, it's that that second layer of it happening in the first place. Like there was a lot of secret service protocols that were broken that day. For instance, um, every other motorcade and it was, it was in their handbook and it was in everything they should have done. Um, secret service people were supposed to be riding and you can actually see in the Zapruder film and, and on the Lincoln itself, there are foot stands uh, in the rear right and left of that Lincoln um, where you're supposed to have secret service agents in path of where he was shot. Um, they're supposed to be riding on the motorcade. Instead, they were jogging beside. Um, also, the motorcade shouldn't have gone through um, an area with so many windows. And in fact, it was it, there were so many windows that Secret Service said, essentially words to the effect of, well, let's just not check any of them. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's never happened <laughs> oh before. Gosh. So that's, um, that's not lazy. <laughs> right. And uh, th- there's just there's a lot of that secondary stuff. Uh, the Warren Commission, for instance, um, like JFK's head is still missing. Um, his body went missing for hours um, post-mortem and nobody knows what happened there. Uh, A lot of the uh, machinations of the Warren Commission itself were were called into question. And I think for me, and again, it goes back to like, like we've talked about a few times, it's the, it's the basis of the podcast, right? Like I, I firmly believe that whoever would have designed such a thing as killing JFK would make it as simple as this one guy up in a window shot the president I just also think that they were smart enough to have other things in motion to make that successful. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you look into Lee Harvey Oswald's background itself, like it, it just seems unlikely to me that he would be someone motivated to, to act alone and rather would, would have taken orders from someone else. And then, uh, yeah. So to me, that part's interesting and, and, uh, you know, I'd like to re-extend the invite for you guys to join us on that episode. But um, well, yeah, I, I have a lot of opinions, obviously, about the JFK assassination. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I am looking forward to that one. And uh, I have, like I said, it's not my theory. It's a, a theory I read about, but it's not one that's talked about a lot. 
but um, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, uh, I think it's definitely one that will be interesting for uh, for your guys' audience. Uh, I'm very to excited hear. for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, there there are all sorts of different connections you can make with the, the JFK one, the... the the uh, mafia uh, connection, obviously, with yep. Sinatra and, you know, the Rat Pack and the mafia and JFK. There's a lot of, you know, strong connections there and why they would be upset with him and Bobby Kennedy uh, after they probably. And here's another conspiracy that one that I, that I believe that uh, Momo Giancana and the mob probably helped him get elected. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I Yeah, both in West Virginia and West Virginia in the primary and Chicago in the uh, in Illinois in the um, general election against Nixon. Um, And, you know, for him to turn around and make Bobby Kennedy, who went after the mob pretty hard, his attorney general, I could see why that would make them angry. Um, So, uh, you know, there there are all sorts of, uh, you know, interesting connections that you can make with that one. And it's 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 probably the most fascinating one. Is there any conspiracy theory uh, that you guys just think like, oh, this is dumb. I can't believe anyone even talks about this. There, you know, this is a, a no way situation. I feel that way about the moon landing. Personally. Oh, yeah. oh, I would, I would say flat Earthers. Oh, <laughs> flat Earthers. Flat Earth, yeah. I don't even feel like that's a conspiracy theory. I feel like that's like yeah. yeah there's a new Dota Earth theory. Or maybe the moon's the moon's a donut is a new theory. I don't remember. It's something ridiculous. Yeah, there, there are quite a few. I think so. The moon landing one, I think, is one of the dumb, dumbest ones because, well, along with flat Earth, like because mm-hmm. they're so easily provable. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the main thing that like fun conspiracies exist on is the inability to prove or disprove. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and sure. that's what those just don't have. Like, I mean, moon landing, like with good enough optics like you can still see the stuff we left up there. And then also uh, we left like laser plates and we regularly like measure using those laser plates. Like unless you were physically up there, you can't manipulate that. Mm -hmm. Um, There's uh, so that one's easy. Uh, I think flat earth is probably the most. Flat earth is the one that makes me the most angry. (laughs) I I think it's hilarious. Yeah. It's funny, but I get visually upset when we talk about flat earth. Yeah. Yeah, I, sometimes I do get mad at that. It's just like it's just such a it's just so ignorant. It just like makes you like regret like the last you know millions of years of evolution. Yeah, I mean, you're just <laughs> taking such a step back. Yeah, and it's like there was I, I went on a work trip. Like, uh, so my company sent me to Seattle, and I was alone for five days. It was a wholly unhealthy experience, apparently, because I stayed up till like four a.m. every night re- watching flat Earth videos and just oh, getting no. upset. <laughs> like, I was like shirtless sweating in bed just angry you know like um but yeah i mean it was just like that one's the one that uh to me i mean there's actually what's really funny if you go on youtube right now there is a uh there was a guy flat earth uh who who offered like a hundred thousand dollar reward to any pilot willing to fly this uh supposedly uh circular chart that he had made or whatever and and another pilot he's a retired dude and was like you know what i got time i love to fly he took him up on the challenge and recorded every single so so what this guy postulated was hey this path that i have made if the world is a globe uh you will if you fly in this vector at this speed for this duration you'll end here but you won't because the the earth is flat well the pilot was like 
no, screw it. So he did it. And he ended exactly <laughs> where a globe theory would say he ended. And then the guy like revised his challenge. He's like, Hey, I'm not going to pay you. You have to do this. And the pilot was like, screw it. So I'll do it. And he, they did this like four times over. This is on oh, YouTube. It's very well, very well documented. He was like, Oh, well you didn't use charts. So he had him like dictate which charts to use. And like, I mean, he really challenged him on this and it's very, it's a very patient man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He. I think he went into and and he states on his YouTube channel like he went into it knowing this dude wouldn't pay up. He just felt like it was worth his time just to have a counterpoint video. Um, and all so, that yeah. fuel too. Jeez. Oh yeah, uh-huh. this dude's loaded. And and like this chart, we're not talking about like a short hop. Like he was doing from like South Africa to Egypt. Like it was like long Jeez. legs, like huge flights. But it's a very interesting YouTube series. Like you should definitely check it out. I just love that we even need the saying globe theory. Right. <laughs> right? Like why is that even exactly. why does that even need to be a thing? The fact that that's cause, like, I think my favorite part is just the fact that, like if you've ever listened to or paid or like um, looked up their reasonings behind everything. All of it is bullshit. Yeah, all of it. Like, that, it's not even close to plausible. That's the. That's they, why. That's why the flat Earth one is the one that like makes me the most angry. Kind <laughs> of like RJ it makes conspiracy theorists look bad. Yeah, and right? and, yeah, and yeah. even like even with the moon one, you know, that's another one. Like like you guys and Mike and I, Mike and I talked about this. Uh, I think last week or the week before that. Um, sometime on the podcast like how dumb that is but at least that one is a clear a clear gap in knowledge there are there are reasons that they give that it's like oh it's because you don't know this thing that you that you think this with the flat earth one i mean it's the same thing but it's much more basic knowledge well and it's it's and, and and it's the the active choice to just say i mean it's and hopefully i'm not Okay, I don't know how sensitive your audience is because I haven't pulled that, but uh, oh, yeah. anti-vax theory, right? Like, yep. uh, it's the same exact thing. Like, you're you're lat- latching onto one thing mm-hmm. that is so easily disproven and, and giving up the thousands of things that say. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the worst conspiracy of all time because it's just yeah. harmed so many people. Well, and oh, I don't yeah. even yeah, and I, I almost don't even include it as a conspiracy theory, quote unquote, because like I just, uh, I mean, maybe it's just gotten into the realm of so harmful that I don't even like to think of it. As a fun right. conspiracy theory, but yeah, I mean, it's one of the. Well, yeah, it's, it's not fun at all. It's no. Well, it's, that's what my, my dad is actually too. a pharmacist, and one of the things he said was, you know, if big pharma's main goal with these horrible chemicals was to harm you, then they're really bad at their job. Yeah, right. because we have so many people that not only are living longer, but um, you know, like so the vast, vast majority of people like totally listen to big pharma. And we don't keel over instantly. So if their goal was to arm you, they are really crap at it. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of profit in vaccines either. So it's not like they're like no. you know raking in the cash. So many of them, uh, so many, so many vaccines through throughout time have been uh, as close to free as possible. Yep. You know, or done in a humanitarian fashion as well. One, yeah, my insurance will let me give a get a free flu shot every year just because you know they're exactly. not you know, losing much money on that. And well, most employers pay for it now. Like what? <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't make sense. One thing about flat Earth, real quick, that I want to say before I get before I I make a contribution to the to anti vaccine thing because I I really I really hate that so much. Yeah. Um. The uh, the uh, so we you know we discovered that the Earth was or human beings discovered that the Earth was. Uh, was round as far back as the 6th century BC. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. They, a lot of people thought it was around Christopher Columbus. It is not. No. Like, it was well oh, no. known. Yeah. Very well known. They knew the I circumference mean, of the Earth by the 3rd century BC. Right. Well, I think that's why this one bothers me so much, because when I think of the moon landing, right, like, most of us are never going to go to the moon. Right. So I think because you can't physically be there, you can't, you yourself cannot globe. physically be there and right. do the same thing, I think it's easy to find the the flaws, quote unquote flaws, in it. Um, but with the with flat earthers, you could literally prove it. You could yeah. do it yourself. You watch, a, r- watch a cruise ship go over the horizon, yeah. right? And the bottom yeah. goes out first. I think another thing behind the moon landing, I just wanted to say real quick, was also that the motive behind lying does make so much sense. Like, oh yeah, Russia was kicking our ass in the yeah. space right. race, and then to to lie and say we got to the moon first, like that's the part to me. Okay, I get the meat and potatoes. It's just that. There's so much proof otherwise that it did happen that, okay, fine, we can get over the motive, right? Like, but, but yeah, that yeah. to me, like, I get the initial thought of, well, of course we lied. Like, we were getting our butts handed to us. Yeah. yeah that's probably the worst explanation for it because, I mean, the Russians would steal the secret of the moon landing immediately. I mean, they, they would have. Oh, sorry. They, they stole the atomic bomb formula. I mean, you're not, they're not going to get a couple, you know, reels of film. Right. right. Well, and that was the other thing that, like, uh, and that's something that so many people go back to is Russia would have jumped, like, absolutely jumped at the opportunity of saying it was fake. Oh yeah. Like, oh for sure. You oh. think they weren't observing the Apollo craft going where it was going? Of course they were. Like, um, and that was the main thing. Like, like they they would have jumped so fast on no, this was done in the studio. Look look at how in, in inferior they are to us. And, um, yeah, it would have it would have cost so much more money. I, I saw that. It. Yep, I saw that. <laughs> it but, was. It was like I, I think the estimate was like it would have cost um, like five to six times more to fake it with the amount of uh, like uh, with the technology exactness. available. Yeah, yeah right. and with the technology they had, then it was to just send them to the moon. Yep, but uh, yeah, the, like the anti-vaccine thing that and that one hadn't occurred to me as a conspiracy theory necessarily. Right. But that, yeah, that. Uh, and if there are some ex- anti-vaxxers in our audience and you don't want to listen to us anymore, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, Try reading right. a book. Same thing for my podcast, y'all. Like, if, but but um, no, like I, uh, that like, you know, I mean, basically you're taking medical advice for your child from Jenny McCarthy. Right. <laughs> for, oh, first oh, of no. all. Especially, it, hold on. I'm sorry. Like I have to talk about the fact that she made this huge deal about her son having autism. Who, by the way, does not have autism? Yeah. They found out, and so she made this whole big thing about how like vaccinations gave my child autism. Wait, he doesn't have autism, but vaccinations are still really bad. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? So yeah, I... there was a stand-up comedian, and you know this is kind of mean, but there's a stand-up comedian that apparently was was proven right about this because he goes. Uh, he said something like, uh, Jenny McCarthy says that her child has autism. Jenny McCarthy is his mom. How do we know he's just not dumb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he ended up being right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. yeah. I think it was yeah, actually the, like four or five years ago the other day that uh, the, the uh, Lancet officially, I think it was a Lancet, yeah, was. officially mm-hmm. like, you know, reputed like Andrew Wakefield. And mm-hmm. the only silver lining of this of the whole anti the vaccine thing at all is that I always confuse Andrew Wakefield for Andrew Wrigley. So I see him in the uh the wake me up video. You know the, the guy in Wham? <laughs> Andrew Wrigley, the other guy from Wham? Yeah. yeah, I always am like, oh the guy from Wham's you know <laughs> Oh my god. Every time you hear his name I just picture the choose life shirts and I just have a <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, that is going that is going back. Nineteen eighty five. Oh, but uh yeah, um you know it's funny, Mike and I both like uh Penn and Teller a lot, the um magicians. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh they uh they did this video one time, I think it was on their show. Um, but I've seen it on YouTube, just this clip and they talk about, they're like, well, okay, let's, let's assume that vaccines do cause autism, you know, in this, in this, in the percentage that it exists in, uh, in the country. And they say, and they, they set up all these different, um, like, uh, I think they're like, uh, bottles or something like that. Bowling pins. That's what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, there, there are two sides you know, want vaccinated, not vaccinated. And so they, they, you know, they knock over a couple of them. They say, okay, so that's the chances that your kid's going to get autism. Now here's the chances when your child's not vaccinated, they'll get measles and die from that, or they'll get this. And, you know, and like, and it's just, it's even if you, even if it did cause autism, it's still better to vaccinate your child. Right. Um, You know, that's really, I mean, that's really kind of a, you know, impolite comment on people with autism. I mean, you're just assuming that they're, you know, not equally, you know, having a valid existence as everyone else. Yeah, autism well, is... Somehow having autism is worse than getting the measles. Right, or dying. Yeah, yeah. 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 And exactly. Well, and right. I went to four funerals this week, but uh, none of them had autism. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's one of those things, like, as a parent, like, if you don't look at your kid and go, well, here's this minuscule chance you'll get autism or die, like, and choose autism, like, that's still, you're a bad parent. Like, so, you know, I mean, like, I just don't get... Not not the best slogan, choose autism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense The other thing for me that I really absolutely hate, I mean, obviously, I, this is my least favorite conspiracy theory of all time, like Mike said, because it's harmed so many people, Mm -hmm. but is the fact that it relies so much on herd community, on herd immunity. Yep. So literally, in order for your child to not be vaccinated, all, all of these kids have to be vaccinated. So right. if the more kids that are not vaccinated, the more likely that my kids who are vaccinated are going to be sick. Yep. It's your fault that my kid gets this sickness that was supposed to be eradicated hundreds of years ago because you decided to listen to a TV star and a doctor who didn't know what he was talking about, who was crazy. Yeah, and there's so, so and there's so yeah, many there's like measles outbreaks right now, like on mm-hmm. the East Coast. Right. You know, yes, like measles right. never should have been. Yeah, and there's so many there's so many uh, new vaccines that that have come out uh, since you know we well since I don't I think we're a little older than you guys or at least I am but um, <laughs> but uh, 1979 here but um, 93 uh, since uh, since we were kids. There have been, you know, like when we were kids, we got the chicken pox. We didn't get the chicken pox vaccine. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, so there are additional vaccines that have come out. So if vaccines did cause autism, you would think that with more vaccines being given to kids, the incidences of autism would rise, but they really haven't. No, um, right. It's there, only... there was a rise at one point, but that's because they expanded the criteria for diagnosis. Yep. Yeah, right. Not yeah. only the criteria, but also the uh, uh, the taboo on like dealing your with child stuff like that has, been, has been lifted yeah. as well. So, like you know, you, there were a lot of people with uh, all the way up to Down syndrome where their parents buried their head in the sand mm-hmm. and just you know, hey, my kid's totally you know, quote unquote sure. normal. Um, and I think that that's that's another. That that was one thing that was documented as, uh, you know, being a, a leading uh, cause to the quote unquote rise of autism. Yeah, and like yeah, and, and people used to do that all the time. I mean, my uh, my aunt uh, Wanda, uh, my dad was born in 1930, and I think she was 
a couple years younger than him. So my dad was was old when I was born. But uh, she was raped um, when she was a teenager. And she developed uh, schizophrenia. Um, Obviously, she always had... Uh, you know, the genetics to have schizophrenia, but a lot of times Mm -hmm. traumas like that can, can bring it out. And my dad was in, uh, was in Germany. He was in the army during the Korean war and he was stationed in Germany at the time this happened. And he came home to his parents' house and my grandparents had put my aunt Wanda in her room and basically just left like brought her food and water and stuff, but completely ignored her and separated her from the family because she, all of a sudden she was hearing voices, delusions, doing these things that they couldn't understand. They didn't know how to deal with. And my dad said, um, when my dad got home, he said, "What? Uh, what's wrong with Wanda? And my grandfather said nothing. And my dad, who had never sworn at his dad in his entire life, said, uh, the fuck, there's nothing wrong with her. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he ended up taking her to, uh, you know, one of the earlier uh, mental institutions, getting her right. help. And then eventually she got medication that that worked for her and. She got put into a like a halfway house, not a halfway house, but a like a assisted living community where it was her and a bunch of other people and and some nurses, uh, and that's where she lived for the rest of her life. And she would come and visit us um, during holidays and stuff like that. We'd go visit her, uh, you know, sometimes, and and you know that's where she lived. And she was always kind of off. But um, I remember saying to my mom, you know. Aunt Wanda's kind of, you know, weird and stuff. And as I got older and she explained more about it to me, she would say, you should have seen her before, you know, she had the the medication because she was, she was lucid ish and, um, you know, not seeing delusions when she was on her medication, her medication worked for her. But, um, when she was not on it, obviously she had all the classic symptoms of schizophrenia, um, and uh, yeah, so you know they they did that with a disease that is that severe and that um, right. you know and stuff back then. Obviously, they didn't really do much for autism or you know like people like a lot of people say, oh, everyone's has anxiety now and there's so much anxiety. You know, is it something in the food? Is it something in this? And I'm not saying I'm not saying that doesn't play a factor. I don't have enough information to definitively say that there isn't a factor in that, but I think a lot of it is, and Mike and I talk about this all the time, is there's increased communication and lessening of taboos about different mental health problems. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, people are much less uh, apt to basically just say, you know, like take some macho attitude where they're like, I'm just going to push through this and, you know, I'm I'm not going to tell anyone about this. I'm just going to repress all this stuff. People don't do that as much anymore as they used to. So that kind of explains a lot of how, you know, it seems like there's more of this stuff going on now, but there really isn't. Right. Well, and it's sad. I think that we're, and it's 2019. We've all, it's like you were saying, it's become so much less taboo. It's become so much more accepted. And we talk about, you know, um, all of those kind of things so much more now. And it's yet still our biggest fear is how dare our child get autism. Right. And that's really interesting to me that it's just like, you'd really rather have your kid sick in the hospital, possibly dead or dying. Or than horribly have disfigured this... by some of these diseases. Yeah. Right. I mean, like my mom was talking to me about, you know, I mean, cause when she was a kid, the measles were real. That was, they were ever, you know I mean? That happened. There was no mm-hmm. measles vaccination. That was just, yeah. it wasn't. She's like, I've seen people have the measles. She goes, it's horrible. It is, it is awful and they're 
deathly sick, if not dying. And yeah, they can they can be maimed big time. And so I think it's well, like we have we have people on this earth alive and remembering polio. Yep. Yeah, I would say people, then, you know, 50, 60 years ago were that was a real danger. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they see us as a society consciously making a choice that could lead back to the rise of polio. Like, yeah, it's one of those things like like we talked about, just uh, anger inducing. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and and that's the funny part, too. It, actually, I had never seen this before until like two months ago. But like uh, the Flat Earth Society and Anti-Vax Society both mutually disdain each other a lot of the time. <laughs> I think that is like the funniest thing that I've that's ever great. seen. I think that's so good. Like they're two of the most ridiculous groups of people on the planet. <laughs> right. yeah. And they're like almost mutually excuse like the Venn diagram of flat earth and the anti-vax are like two circles. Wow. Like, I yeah, love that. Either of them are just being disingenuous because there's easy, easily pointable to evidence. I mean, for mm-hmm. the, you know, people say, oh, this, this doctor said vaccines do this. Then like, oh no, look, he's been widely discredited. If you still believe it past that and you aren't a scientist yourself who has some kind of medical evidence that proves you're correct, just don't say anything. I don't. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got. I got into um, a debate with someone on the internet, and they were talking about how um, how uh, this doctor said, like he said that it was his sister. Her sister took his son to the doctor, and said that you know he uh, you know had become autistic. The doctor said to them that he had become autistic after having these um these uh inoculations these vaccines and i and um <laughs> i said there is no way that a doctor told your sister and her husband that and i said you know i think it this is like a game of telephone i think you're just you know you're just misinterpreting this information or your sister's trying to misinterpret this information. And he said, no, he said that his, uh, his, um, what did he say? That his mercury level was at a, at in a, a 15 and it's supposed to be an eight or, or something like that. And I go, um, I go, (laughs) I said to him that, that is, that's look all everything you're saying. This is not, I don't know what, mercury level 10 is this is not uh this is not how doctors measure this stuff they measure uh ivg and uh ivgm ivgf you know uh these um you know factors in your blood and that's how they determine what the levels of different heavy metals are whether you need chelation and things like that and i said um and if he was talking about uh ivg or ivgf it's uh, like a, a level of, of 16 is slightly on the higher side of normal, but still in still well within normal range. Um, so I said, you know, and he's like, well, no, he didn't say that. He said this. And I'm like, OK, well, then then the doctor, you're t- then either the doctor you're talking to is a complete quack and me <laughs> without a medical degree knows more about how they measure mercury in the blood than he does, which I don't think is true. Or you or your sister or both are misinterpreting this information grossly. But there's no way that he told you that. And I think that's a lot of people want to believe certain things. And then they they shape their world to conform to what they want to believe. Well, and I think it goes back to the it goes back to the ignorance thing, because we don't know. We don't have the information of why autism happens or how it happens, right. if it's genetic or not. And I think something I was actually just thinking about, I've never thought of it this way, and who knows if it's true or not, 
But I've always thought of with that doctor, I, I can't remember his name, the doctor who got disproved. Um, he was in Wham. Andrew Ridgely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's Wakefield, right? <laughs> um, Wake me did. up before you go. go. <laughs> I was. I used to think of it as like maybe he just wants to. He really hates vaccinations. And wants to prove why they're bad. But then I thought, what if he wanted to be the first person to give us a explanation for how autism happens? Because that would give him buku bucks and right. a big name. Right? Well, he like, was actually. Uh, it was financially. He had a financial interest. He had a financial interest in doing that. Uh, okay. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was. It was part of the uh, disproving process and what the Lancelot did it to denounce him right. uh they they discovered because well, i was just thinking like as as a if, if i was a parent of someone who had autism i would do i would probably love to find a reason why it happened something or to why it blame, was that guess, you know what yeah. i mean because well, sure. there isn't one like i have i have two um cousins who are autistic and my mom has talked to my uncle about it before and he kind of talked about that about how it's hard to just accept that we are just not going to know that yeah. this is just sure. and, and yeah. i mean you love your child of course you love your child and you you accept it and everything else. He said, it's not about that. It's more just about, I wish I could understand what, if there was something that happened or oh, if we sure. did, or if we did something or if any, or whatever possibly could have happened or if it was our genetics or whatever that caused that. And so I was thinking of it that way that I'm, cause I think that's why a lot of parents latch onto it is because of the fear of just, we oh, don't sure. know yeah. why this happens. Well, I, then like, it's just like with flat earth too. Like you just have that, that pure ability that humans have like, and I don't think any other like animal would do this. Like, I think if a dog is alone in the woods and they see like a giant bear coming at them, they're going to be like, no, that's just a guy in a costume. Like humans are the <laughs> only ones that look at a certain set of facts and go, no, this, this has to match my perception. I somehow know more even though I right. like, like there was anything. this, there was this YouTube video I saw for Flat Earth, and it was a guy who was like, see, I'm standing over on this island, and uh, the, the Chicago skyline is in view, and that shouldn't happen if the Earth isn't flat. And, like, simultaneously, he's standing next to a reporter going, this is a once-in-a-hundred-year phenomenon where the uh, water, like, vapor has risen to the point that now we can see the Chicago skyline <laughs> from here. And, like, and the, he knew this reporter was doing this thing, but he decided to still make that video. Like that is the like blood boiling anger that, that I get. Yeah. Cause like that, it takes such a special kind of person to look at, you know, a, a thousand facts uh, and then just still see like what they want to see. And then also I think you combine that with just innate laziness. Like I, I had one of those Facebook online debates as well um, with somebody who was like, you know, I'm not full anti-vax. Their parents are anti-vax, but they were like, I'm not full anti-vax. I just don't think, uh, you know, I should go into it saying, you know, load load my kid up with uh, every vaccination. I was like, you know, here's the thing. You don't have to. Like, the research is available. It's just whether or not you're actually going to do it. And lo and behold, never they never did any research. And I think that's the big thing, too, is like everybody looks at it as, I'm just not going to trust my doctor, but I'm also not willing to do my own research. Educate myself, you know? right. Like it just makes it like it's, it's a combination of things that makes no sense. It's not like it's voodoo. Like the information is there. Yeah. No, it's there. It's on the Google scholar. You like it's available. It. It's kind you of know, insane it. that in the era of the internet, where literally every piece of information is at your fingertips, right? <laughs> this stuff is happening, but I have the information about the, um, the autist, the the autism uh, guy here. Uh, okay. He was uh, he was uh, he wrote the paper because he was trying to uh, boost sales of the single for Careless Whisper. There it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Guilty feet have got no rhythm. 
another uh, another big factor that we're not really uh, bringing up is uh, there's just a lot of dumb people out there. Yeah, yeah, yes. As, a, as oh, uh, the great group Carlin said, uh, think of the average person and then realize that half the people are. Uh, and think of how dumb the average person is, then half the people are dumber than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love Carlin. I, I think another thing, and I've I've talked to my dad about this a lot, and I think I've said it just in general a lot is because of the internet and, and all this uh, power that we have at our fingertips, that that dumb ass minority has become so loud. Oh, yeah. well, like, very many they speak, speak the loudest. Louder. Yeah. Well, it's like what you were saying, Mark, about um, conspiracy theorists, how there's those ones that always have to make us look bad because it's the dumbest people talk the loudest. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's always like that. Like there's those of us back here who are like, Hey, I don't believe everything, but I also am not like, you know, tinfoil hat wearing but at the same time but then there's people who are like gung-ho and for it and they're spouting it on every rooftop and in the newspaper yeah it's like uh i mean not to get political and you know like uh i'm not you know we don't talk about uh what political affiliations we have necessarily on the show but it's like uh if you take the republicans for instance right um Uh it's like i'm a republican and you say you know like i'm you know, I'm a Republican, and then this guy next to you is like, "Oh yeah, I'm a Republican too." What do you think about those Jews taking over? Yeah. And it's right. like oh, you're no. like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, let me step back a little bit." I'm, I'm not a- that Republican. I'm not like that. Hold on. Because, because yeah. yeah, it's like there are you know, and it's the same thing for the Democrats too. Like, um, like there are people who are Democrats that don't necessarily think that every single word that everyone say say should be policed all the time, you know, and stuff, or like. Well, that's uh, something that. Yeah. I've actually said a lot is that, um, you know, the, the internet and the, these voices and, and the way that we portray ourselves online is what drove this last election of just, we're, we're polarizing mm-hmm. so much, yep. you know, I mean, you go back 30, 40 years ago and the two candidates were not nearly as far apart as we are now, like oh, yeah. not even close. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like, it's, it, it's that same thing. Like the loud right and the loud left are the ones that have the most voice. So they're the ones that get pandered to. And then they're the ones that, uh, the rest of us just still have to vote for somebody. Yeah. It's, you know? it's unfortunate. It's, yeah. It because... is. And it, it's one of those things that, um, the, the louder that small segment of people are and the more credence that they're given, the worse off everything is. I mean, you look at like uh, what ESPN, even something as trivial as sports, what it's mm-hmm. become, it's just a bunch of guys yelling at each other. And it's because yeah. a, the the minority of sports fans that enjoy that are the loudest sport fans. Yeah. So that's what we get. Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless, yes. you know, like right. uh, uh, LeBron is the worst player that's ever played in the NBA. LeBron's right. the best. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. that's, yeah. That's what, that's what it becomes. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, yeah, it gets, it gets like, you know, when um, the United States balanced the budget uh, under Bill Clinton's administration, I tend to be more of a centrist than most people, which is why this era can be infuriating politically for me. Same. But, yep. um, but uh, you know, like people are like, oh, you know, Bill Clinton did it such a good job balancing the budget. And I always say, yeah, and Newt Gingrich, you know, whether you love him or hate him, and the Republican Congress did a lot, you know, did just as much. They they both were smart enough to say, hey, we've got a problem. Let's work together. And they made concessions with each other. Right. Bill Clinton right. said, I'm, I'll give you guys this thing that you want. The Republicans said, we'll give you this thing that you want. We'll, you know, we'll increase taxes a little bit. We'll shrink the government, you know, in this way and in, in, in this way. And they we'll actually... Waco. <laughs> <laughs> they actually worked together and they solved a problem and that doesn't right. happen nearly as much as it should anymore 
Well, what a little problem down of... in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, do you want to talk like... about that? Because I really want to hear your top dog theory. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, what were you going to say, Rachel? I was just saying, I think that was kind of the point of the two parties. The idea maybe in the first place was the fact that we can take two different, completely opposite people and put them in a room together and find the middle ground between the two. Mm-hmm. Because if you just take two Republicans, put them in a room, take two Democrats, put them in a room, you're going to get the same opinion off both people most of the time. Yep. But if you're able, I think that was the point. And now we've just become where it's instead, I have my side, you have your side, your side sucks, your side sucks. No one's conceding. Yep. And so I think we kind of took the point and crapped all over it. Yep. I agree. But no, Mike. Does, uh, does Mike have an official, like a, a, a very special relationship with David Koresh and what happened in Waco? Or? No, no, Mike. Am I missing something? The, the, it's funny. He's from Michigan. But um, <laughs> not, not Waco. Um, the Oklahoma City bombing. Oklahoma City, yeah, yeah, Tim McVeigh is, oh, Tim is McVeigh. from Michigan. Yeah. yeah. But um, Waco is definitely one I have a lot of questions about. Yeah. I remember at the time, and I, I'll definitely give you credit for, for this. Because uh, we used to talk about this in school, uh, you know, every once in a while. But at the time, you were not, like, happy about how this was handled. And you had a lot of questions about uh, what they did with the, the Waco thing. Like, we had a lot of discussions about this way before anyone else had brought anything up about it. Yeah, that that and um, Ruby Ridge also I have a lot of questions about. And there's actually one uh, person that's connected to both a uh, sniper for the ETF named Alon. Horiuchi, I think. Mm-hmm. And like people claim that he both took the shot that he wasn't right. supposed to take each time. I mean, there's just a lie I could go on for hours about Waco. <laughs> hey, if you ever there's do a, a, there's a Waco another, one. Yeah, there's another yeah. episode. <laughs> we'll bring you on for it. But Mike, really, you... there's like a whole like trio of like uh, right wing slash white supremacist type. Uh, I mean, really, Waco, Oklahoma City, and uh, Ruby Ridge are almost the exact same thing happening three different yeah it's interesting i never thought about those as connected events yeah they're all like anti-government type people you know trying to lash back at the uh, government and that was like a really like dangerous like thing around those times especially like mark said we live in michigan there was like the whole michigan militia supposedly were connected to uh Mm -hmm. timothy mcveigh and all that stuff It it was very odd yeah yeah obviously it was a big story in oklahoma it was a big story nationally and, you know, because of the Michigan connection, it was a big story here. So that was on the news when that happened in 96, it was on the news uh, or 95. It was on the news a lot here because of the uh, the Michigan connection. So we, huh. they definitely talked about it a lot. But, Mike, did you want to talk about your top dog theory? Yeah, actually, that, that plays into this perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in that. This is really weird. I don't even know how I discovered this because I've never seen the movie. But I'm a, I like, the, you know, just look, looking up like Chuck Norris sometimes. <laughs> so uh, one of the movies he was in was uh, the 1995 buddy cop action comedy film called uh, Top Dog. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets really weird. <laughs> hey, mind you, this uh, this movie came out nine days after the Oklahoma City bombing. But in this movie, Chuck Norris plays a, um, I believe he's an FBI agent, trying to uh, disrupt these uh, these white supremacist terrorists from uh, attacking someone on uh, Hitler's birthday, 420, which was the day that the bombings actually occurred. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, when you think about it, this actually, like, you know, obviously they didn't make the movie the day it was released, so this was in production for, you know, almost an entire year. Right. Yeah. Right. Jeez. Um, another weird thing about that is uh, Chuck Norris is actually from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Like, he was born there. He's not from Texas, unfortunately, like uh, many would love him to. <laughs> 
Um, and another odd thing about it is the dog in the movie is uh, named Reno. Oh, I, I forgot to mention that his partner in crime is a, a dog. Yeah. <laughs> so it's called Top Dog. Because, you know, they pair him with a dog. Um, and the dog's name is Reno. And uh, Timothy McVeigh actually at one point said he was debating between assassinating Janet Reno or, you know, doing the botany. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it says that uh, the film received mainly negative reviews. I can't understand why, because anytime that you place a, a cop with a dog, it's usually a hit. <laughs> it usually works. Uh, another it, weird, another weird tie to this, and I could be a little wrong in this. I'm not a big fan. I haven't really watched Parks and Recreation, but the screenplay is by uh, Ron Swanson. That's the guy's name. <laughs> Isn't that character a conspiracy theorist? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. He's super anti-government. Oh my god. Oh, yeah, that's, a great, that's a great theory. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Mike Mike uh has teased that on the podcast for a while, so we figured this would be the best time to uh <laughs> to bring it out. But <laughs> so uh, good. W- yeah, lots of connections there. Well, I you know, I, I feel like we could probably go for hours more. Yeah. But yeah. uh I guess we will wrap it up here. Another uh fun filled episode of uh nazis rape <laughs> um, <laughs> murder and uh kids getting uh measles and autism um another day at unscheduled and wham. Olympics, is what that is. yeah and wham that's right yeah. <laughs> whenever whenever you think of uh, nazis think of wham uh, if you got anything from this it's that wham causes autism that's right <laughs> Oh yeah! Don't listen to uh, Last Christmas next Christmas time. <laughs> By the way, uh, just real quick too: uh, George Michael died uh, on Christmas. Actually, it's kind of sad oh, wow. when you think about I it. Didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, another doubt. What, what another? Yeah, what another? I feel like Wham was the like, the only happy part of this, and it's now. <laughs> now it's been tainted. To make the universe right, when we have you guys on, we'll talk a little bit more about films and happiness. <laughs> 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 balance it out but uh yeah thanks for joining us on massive late fee uh obviously big thanks to rj and rachel from the skeptical skeptics podcast for joining us check them out uh on their show and on twitter uh they are their your their shows available every place our shows available spotify itunes all that stuff um uh what else oh so uh mike how do we end the show i forget oh <laughs> You can uh, you can find us uh, at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee on Facebook, Massive Late Fee at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to contribute to our Patreon, uh, throw us a buck. We appreciate that. And as we always say, the biggest thing that you can do is tell a friend. Tell a friend about our show. Tell a friend about the Skeptical Skeptics podcast as well. Um, and I'm really, Mike, I'm really thinking about, uh, in the next couple weeks, starting a contest where we'll give something away, a hundred dollar gift card or something like that, uh, for the funniest story of how you work massive late fee into a conversation that has nothing to do with, with massive late fee. Oh, uh, we're, we're on MySpace now too. I got the, I got it. So. <laughs> uh, our only friend is Tom, but, um, we are on there. Uh, you guys want to make the top ten? Message me. <laughs> so, I forgot about the top tens. <laughs> oh, so uh, thank you for joining us again, and we will see you uh, next week. And tune in to the Skeptical Skeptics podcast, and we'll let you know uh, when that JFK episode comes out, because I'm excited for all you guys to listen to that, too. Uh, thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you.
Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks.